take one. The doobly-doo. <laughs> Who wrote the doobly-doo? I, I might want to adopt that, like, rather than uh, than saying the episode description, because that's boring. Who wrote the doobly-doo? You know, like, and you'll find links and stuff in the doodly-doo. <laughs> oh, the is, doobly-doo. It, is it doodly-doo? I think it's, there's, there's variations. Or doobly-doo. I kind of like doobly-doo better. <laughs> But what, it just means in the thingy. Do. It's just like in the thingy ding. Yeah, like in the in the descriptory space block thing. Oh my god! If I Google doobly do, it says doobly do YouTube comes up, and then doobly do yeah. song. The doobly do song. So is it always the same person? Doobly do Urban Dictionary. The term refers to the video description box on yeah. YouTube. Yeah. So that's a literal thing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a whole thing. The doobly-doo is this box which contains information about the video links and tags. Used to be universally referred to as the sidebar, since it often appeared beside videos. But Craig Benzine, also known as Wheezy Waiter. <laughs> God. Oh, geez. I've never felt so old in my life. Internet history. Started referring to it as the doobly-doo. Wow. <laughs> Other YouTubers, such as John Green, part of the Vlog Brothers, and Dan the Vlog, the yeah, Vlog Brothers, and Dan Brown started to also call the sidebar the doobly do, using mm. Wheezy Waiters terminology. The term is now widely used on YouTube. Yeah. So the sidebar is—I don't even know what the sidebar means. The sidebar, like it's—it's it's just the details. It's the the deets. details are below; they're not on the side. I feel like at, maybe in a past era, like before the YouTuber days. I'm pulling up YouTube right now. And I mean, you point they're to not, me, yeah. tell me what the sidebar yeah, is. Yeah, but the interface for YouTube has changed drastically over the years. Really? Has yeah. it? Because I don't... Well, I don't know if it has. So. I guess this article is from 2009. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Do we include slurping Get sounds that. from drinks? We should. I don't know. Just... Get that throat coat in. And okay. we just lost everyone. <laughs> Everybody's gone. So you know what is on my mind kind of lately? What? Yesterday I was at this thing, which cheers, by the way, if you hear Jay's ice clinking, it's because oh, yeah. he poured us some nice whiskey. Cheers. This is uh, this is the whiskey my dad got me for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's delicious. Thanks, Dad. Yeah. yeah so Ooh, this sponsored oh, right. this episode. Yes. Yay. This episode of Reality Quest is sponsored by Woodford Reserve Double Oaked Whiskey. Oh yeah. Yeah. And those those cool silicone ice square ice things that you got the ice cube out of. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are oh, great. oh, that's that's funny. So this is the most tipster possible thing that I could be doing oh, right God. now. But I I was subscribed to Bespoke Post, um, which. Okay is super hipster but it's also like actually like really interesting stuff like they have this um wow god what is this called what are what are um the glass what the, are you not going the glasses for? there's there's like whiskey glasses here and there's these giant ice cubes that i got and then yeah. it also it was a set that came with a not a uh, the holder oh the glass the thing? glass yeah it's it's for holding your whiskey or oh, your, i know what you mean yeah uh it's not a carafe that's for tea um or i always for forget when. this name Whiskey holder. Let's see what comes yeah. up. Uh, oh, um, oh, decanter. It's a decanter. God, that's for oh. wine too. 
Why are you I, so frustrated by that, man? I'm just, Calm that, down. That word, like literally, you the just last. can never think of decanter. Yes, oh, every I know time what you mean. I'm trying to think of, oh yeah, I got this thing, and I can never think of the word decanter. Decanter. What is that about? I'm so honestly, I want to just talk about memory, but memory? we can do that another time. Oh. But why? Why do we forget? Why is there <sighs> the same with the same word? You tend to be blocked by it. I don't know. I you know like, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's basically what you just said. Yeah, it's, that is exactly what, what's been happening. It's that particular word. I know there's a number of words like that in my vocabulary that always are really hard for me to recall on on like when I want them right. intentionally to. And I wonder <laughs> how much that has to do with the more you're blocked by something, the more panicky you get when you're trying yes. to remember it. I think that's exactly uh, why this happens is because you start to associate a little bit of stress and anxiety around recalling that word. Yeah. And I, I think I'm anticipating when I get into a sentence and I'm like, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that word. I better remember it. Right. Fuck, I can't remember the word. Yeah. It's like you set yourself up for failure. Yeah. No, it totally is. That happens all the time. Okay. So... The thing that's been on my mind, which is, oh, by the way, welcome to Reality Quest, everyone. <laughs> welcome, welcome back. back. This is a yeah. Thoughts on Thoughts episode, which means Jay and I chat about things on our mind sometimes that is related to the previous episode we released. Some of it definitely will be. And then we do our own adventure related to yeah, that. It's typically yeah. inspired by the previous episode. Yeah, it's just like mental spelunking into the minds of Kelly and Jay. I love the word Spelunking. spelunking. <laughs> <laughs> so this actually has nothing to do with the topics of today, but because it was on my mind recently, I was at a bachelor watching thing yesterday. A ba- like a, 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 ga- a bachelor gathering? Yes. A, uh, batch nation. A batch, a batch commune. Ba- uh, come up, <laughs> sure. I don't know what you call that. Sure. <laughs> I have not jumped onto that wave. Anyways, myself, I was but... referencing this person who is on who was previously on The Bachelor, and I said, you know, that person couldn't remember her name. And I said, she has a podcast. Mm -hmm. And somebody's reaction was an eye roll with everybody has a podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, okay. I mean, you know, whatever. (laughs) Well, so, but I think that was interesting because I think she was probably referring to the fact that all of The Bachelor people have podcasts. But I've also, a lot of them do not, everyone but some of them will end up having podcasts they right. have they build their own brands they're human yeah, beings yeah they're they're public figures at this point because right. they're being watched yeah, every so they week. can kind of do whatever the fuck they want <laughs> and as we all can as a reminder oh yeah we we all are allowed to do right. whatever the fuck we want so I but i heard this from other people too and everyone i don't know i think you and i talked about it in the beginning when we started talking to people about the fact that we were doing a podcast and I feel like I got a lot of eye rolls from a lot of people about podcasts in general Mm. and then also doing a podcast in the VR industry. It's like, oh, my God. Eye rolls for both? Like a double roll? A double eye roll. Double eye roll. If I may. A two-eyed roll. (laughs) So that gave me pause. Of course, it annoyed the shit out of me in the beginning because I was like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do it then. Immediate imposter syndrome attack. Right. But here's here's my, my griping. So... People can, everyone can have a website, everyone can have a blog, and for some reason, when it comes to YouTubing and podcasts, everyone's like pissed off that anyone can do it. 
I feel like blogs also are in that same bag. What do you mean? That people get annoyed by it? Yes. Uh, only <laughs> that people often get irritated when or just kind of like personally frustrated maybe that they're not uh, – this is this could be very judgmental sounding, but I feel like it often stems from uh, a little bit of like self conscientiousness that you know, like it's associated with people being very egotistical or like overly confident or over sure of themselves to the point where you're like the things I have to say have value and people want to hear what I have to say. Right. Um, you don't have to have that attitude, obviously. Like I think we've been really trying to avoid that sort of talk, but I don't know. I I haven't really picked that apart myself. I think that there's something to that, and it makes me want to pick it apart because yeah. on the one hand, I totally get where people are coming from. And on the other hand, I just think, well, who the fuck cares? Like, why are you so upset about it? You could make a statement that there's a difference between saying, wow, podcasts have really blown up lately. A lot of people have them compared to, oh, my God, everybody has a podcast now or, oh, my God, everybody's a YouTuber. It's like, OK, what's your personal problem with that? So, well, okay, maybe let's step back and look at this from, like, the pro-cons real quick. So what is the downside of everybody and their mother having a podcast or a blog or writing their own book or whatever? The downside for me is that I have too many options, the same as on Netflix. It's it's I'm inundated with options of great things to listen to. <laughs> well, great things – Sometimes and many shitty things. Right, Usually, but who cares? If it's shitty, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. anything else. If I try a new music or I try a new show and I don't like it, I move on. I don't get angry right. at that person <laughs> for having the gall to put that out there. <laughs> for for stepping outside of their comfort zone and being like, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some sort of content or material yeah. out. I'm gonna do that thing. Right. Like Spotify comes out, I'm like, ugh. You think you can make music too? Ugh. Oh God, like there's, every there's time. so many musicians. There's so many artists <laughs> out there. It's just too much. Too much good music. Like how many movies and shows are there? I mean, honestly. <laughs> and I nobody's think... like, ugh, how, how on earth? Why is everyone making a show now? <clears throat> I think yeah. Wired actually published, uh, well, published. <laughs> it, it was not that official. It was an Instagram post. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally just an Instagram post that was like, we basically, there was, somebody counted it up and there's like 627,000 uh, shows, like official wow. TV show type programming to watch or channels, whatever. Yeah. If you want to collect from all the different networks and whatnot together. So there's never been more of a problem of having too many things to watch, but I don't, I don't feel like that's a problem. <laughs> I think that the difference is that when it comes to TV shows and musicians, there's a distance there where somebody who's listening to that or, or watching something, they mm -hmm. think those people have been approved by somebody because oftentimes it's going through some sort of producer or distribution company yeah. where they feel like people, everyone, if everybody can podcast, there is some sort of like some people deserve that and some people don't feeling yeah of like how dare you feel that you can that you can put yourself out there you deserve to be on a public pedestal like that right i had this recent conversation this person i'm working with is a professional copywriter also a, a screenwriter 
and he feels very frustrated by everyone feeling like they can write. And of course, There's we a, all do. Uh, we all feel like we can write. We all feel like we can. It's the same thing with UX design. A lot of people think they can be a designer when it comes to making with, decisions. It's the same thing with programming. We had this conversation with Michael about C, C, uh, just the C programming language in general, C++, whatever these like low-level programming languages versus when languages like JavaScript come along and it's really accessible because it's in every browser and everybody is able to jump on there and start poking around. The the smaller originals, like the niche groups, the tribes that got started earlier, and maybe they feel like objectively they had to put more effort into learning those things. They feel there's like a pride and ego associated with that. And so I feel like that, that happens in every single area, whether it's you perceive it as somebody that you're not, like like people on TV shows or celebrities – Somehow they earned that space, and if everybody is able to jump on and make a podcast or a YouTube channel, it somehow, from that perspective, it like devalues what it means to be a public celebrity or figure or whatever. Right, which that whole concept of earning, mm-hmm. who really defines that? I think this is the difference because let's talk about with movies. If... So previously in Hollywood, it was all through production companies. And now there's various things that people can do on their cell phones yeah. and then just throw it up on YouTube if they wanted to. Like I there's, can take a 4K 120 hertz video feed right. on my phone right now. Same thing with books. You can self-publish. And yeah. so there's this old world of going through a third party or going through some sort of professional publisher and distributor who basically says, yes, I'm willing to invest in you. Mm -hmm. And I want, I think your brand aligns with mine. There's somebody that's basically giving them the stamp of approval. But now in any type of area where it becomes extremely accessible, like with creating your own websites or blogs or being able to podcast now or putting a video up on YouTube, Suddenly the question is, well, how who approves this person because they didn't go through some proper mechanism. Right. They didn't they didn't earn it somehow by going through the the normal tribulations right. or at least at that point in time the the traditions that were accepted as these are the obstacles you have to overcome. Right. in order to meet that threshold. Yeah. But that I that's like this is such a fundamental human dynamic because it happens between the different generations too. Mm-hmm. When we look at uh, like past generations disparaging or uh, you know like shaming the newer generations for even something as simple as ah oh, yeah, back in my day I had to walk uphill both ways to go to work. It's like somehow that was earned uh, and more hard won than the easier thing that you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And it's the same mentality when you're looking at like uh, these. All these indie artists and uh, uh, filmographers or producers or whatever don't have to go through the same thing to be able to put their content out there or you don't have to go through the same struggle to publish your writing or make a podcast. And somehow that means that they're less legitimate. That means that they're not a real writer because, I don't know, they they haven't spent decades honing their craft at some point in that that arbitrary length of time, you gain the title of writer Yeah. in that past perception, which I don't feel like that's all that important <laughs> at this point. I used to care about it more. Now I, I give less fucks about that the older I've been getting. 
Yeah, so it's become somewhat democratic, right? Because I think yeah. that eventually instead of a publisher selecting you or some sort of studio, instead you're selected by the people because it's about how many likes you get mm-hmm. and how many followers and subscribers you have. Does it devalue it in in public perception when it becomes democratized? Like when something, when anything becomes less rare, hmm. it becomes more uh, taken for granted. Meaning it becomes less special, it becomes less elite, it becomes less sought after, whether yeah. that's uh, rare people, as in celebrities mm-hmm. um, and lifestyles that you don't, that aren't very common. Or it's like a rare wine that is very hard to find and therefore it's super expensive even though it's not really – even though the process isn't really any different from mm. any other wine. It's just – it has this sort of associated name and brand behind it. Yeah, I think that there's definitely something to that and it's ultimately everybody wants to feel special. Yeah. And yeah, so, and if everybody's a podcaster, nobody's a podcaster anymore. Right. What doesn't <laughs> what doesn't really make sense to me is why people get angry who seemingly like okay, for example, that whole writer mm-hmm. thing I talked about, that makes total sense because that yeah. person feels annoyed by other people thinking they're writers when they haven't gotten an official stamp of approval in the same way. Did they way. get an official stamp of approval? I'm sure so they're older and so they went through mechanisms <laughs> right. of right so so they've been approved by in other Society in other forms exactly in the way that of... it made sense to get approved by being selected as a writer for different forms or getting a job as a writer yeah. versus just writing and putting it out there on the web mm-hmm. uh but I think so that makes sense more sense to me than when somebody who just every Joe seems to be angry by the fact that there are multiple podcasts out there. For example, when we first started this and I shared what Mm -hmm. we were doing with somebody who was in the industry, they got pretty upset about there being multiple VR podcasts. And I'm almost like, okay, first of all, (laughs) (laughs) there's like five, maybe. If somebody came to me and said they were doing (laughs) anything, I mean, be a normal human being and congratulate them or encourage (laughs) them or bring up genuine concerns. Don't just shit all over (laughs) everything they're doing. Like, what is the fucking point of that? (laughs) The first thing you do is just defecate all over their idea. That's kind of like like, when you learn who your true friends and supporters are. I'm like, okay, never mind. (laughs) But why are you so Uh, angry about it? Why does that personally offend you so much? Or why do you feel personally obligated to to jump on that high horse and shit all over that idea? Right. And I think it has to do with envy, to your point. I mean, it has Uh, to do with just the fact that for some reason... It threatens people and maybe it has something to do with that. There is so much pressure today to have a personal brand, to put yourself out there, that just by it existing and by knowing somebody who does something like Mm. podcasts or YouTube, it has that invisible pressure on somebody and puts that weight on them that makes them feel like I'm not doing that. And so I feel threatened and... I'm going to fight that feeling by making yeah. putting that other person down so I can stay feeling up. To be fair, there is a lot of just general, and we talked about this, I think, in like one of our last Thoughts on Thoughts. Um, 
there is like a general widespread expectation or pressure in especially the modern the, the newer generations that have been very tied into social media to to be visible to to mm-hmm. project your voice out there to be on Instagram or Twitter constantly and projecting your thoughts out and if you don't do that you kind of feel like you don't exist and so therefore that generates this sort of complex where you're gonna feel so I feel self-conscious yeah. all the time whenever I see uh, people online that are constantly doing that that constantly project their thoughts out and I feel like I should do that more god yeah I don't do it enough and then I these days I've really just been trying to say like no I don't like maybe that's just not how I am and yeah. not everybody needs to do that <laughs> <laughs> but it's still really hard to overcome that that initial instinct of I'm being left out right. or I'm not visible somehow. Oh, man. I wrote all <laughs> about this and it was this article I wrote about being an almost influencer because I think that <laughs> – An almost influencer. I think that we are in the generation in between, which yeah. is there was people before us who didn't have this pressure whatsoever. And there's people after us who basically know out of the womb how to manipulate the system or how to navigate it. They're just so used that they to can, that constant voice. Yeah, it's like they're not scared of putting themselves out there. And then there were all these in-between people's people. <laughs> people. <laughs> people persons. All of these humanities in, in between. <laughs> these amazing humans. <laughs> humans. Who got stuck in between that were like, ridiculed by the older generations for even liking YouTube. Or being so self-centered. Right. Constantly. But then aren't in that generation of knowing how to use that magic of personal branding to their benefit. And so anyways, I, I thought all about that and how basically I think we need to think about it as if you if we just decide to be like oh that's not for us that's that younger generation well we will kind of fall behind because that's just how the times are and if it's the same thing if you want to stand out if you want to uh get a good job if you want to get ahead Mm -hmm. there are certain things that you need to do which is to call attention to yourself the same thing we do in our typical process of applying for jobs and how we stand out in that process and that process it's always been the same i mean there are like it kind of feels unfair sometimes you're like oh man well that person like they just got this job because they got a lot of likes but if you think about like somebody found them online because they were more visible right and And people appreciated that right? right and and there's i mean in the movie industry actors who had more quote-unquote followers or people who liked them Mm. got more jobs even though they weren't necessarily the better person for that job or the better actor and that um idea is stemming from even actors these days are getting picked on who has a better instagram following instead of just oh are they did they do the scene well in this audition yeah it's a parallel to what has always been the case for i mean as long as the the modern sort of uh (laughs) professional world has existed where interviews have been a thing i guess since we transitioned from agrarian society into an industrialized like factory society and you had to start being hired for jobs anytime you were ever competing against other candidates the way that one you get found is by being visible and how did you do that before you would go and like meet with the person that owned the company or run into them in the street uh, and talk to them like you'd, you'd have to do more what we would consider organic methods 
to be visible. And now the new sort of organic medium and means for being visible is by creating a visibility, like a, a visible profile online. Right. Which is the really hard adjustment to make if you didn't grow up in that world. Totally. And I think that's it. It's that this pressure has always existed. It was yeah. just in a different form. And now... It's like the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's super straightforward. <laughs> 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 How do we call attention to ourselves? So, yeah, I mean, we're all just trying to call attention to ourselves. Right. <laughs> so, I guess it's it's the same fundamental struggle. <laughs> which is, I guess, what we're doing here. <laughs> it, just, it just, it does, it definitely feels a lot more... Um, it, it can feel more artificial in a lot of ways just because of the way the mediums kind of evolved. And I think also a lot of that is a side effect of just the the sort of advertisement-based internet that mm-hmm. we've constructed thus far. Yeah. Maybe those things shift over time, but yeah. right now <laughs> we're, we're going through the rough transition period. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel I feel for everyone in our general <laughs> grouping of peoples like of the in betweeners. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it is hard. It is a difficult adjustment, and I mean, like this podcast for us obviously wasn't easy for us to mentally get over putting ourselves out there. We both had that thought of like, who wants to listen to us? And then we just thought, you know what? Whatever. We're just like recording as we learn things in the same way we have yeah. normal discussions <laughs> and we're just putting mics in front of us to share with other people. And that's how we can mentally accept that we're doing it. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, um, like, why, why are you? they were, I guess they'd, they'd listened through that recent episode. They're like, why are you all self-conscious about your intros and outros? I mean, they're fine. Like it, it's, oh, really? it's fine. Like why I, there's nothing wrong. Like it's, it's, it's relaxing or whatever the tone or rhythm of our conversation, whatnot was appealing. Mm. And, Okay, cool. Like, why can't we just get over that? It's been a struggle to to get to a point to just. We're so good at start. calling attention to our what we perceive as flaws. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, like a mutual... apologizing for being here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, this is reality. I am the way I am. <laughs> we should just start our openings with, "Hey, this is Reality Quest." Sorry. Sorry, we're doing this. <laughs> we don't know why, but thanks for going along with the Excuse ride. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> but we're gonna go ahead and talk. <laughs> Be patient through all of that. You yeah. Know? And so here's the episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. to kind of close that out, I would say for anyone who's interested in doing their own form of any of that, and a lot of my friends are like, they're in the same in between group, the, yeah. the in between the almost influencers or the lost souls of <laughs> almost influencers. The one slipping through the social cracks. Yeah. And I think you can obviously do whatever you want. You can stay, not have, build on your branding. You can figure it out as you go. You, you Everyone in the world to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that there should be any shame in experimenting with putting yourself out there in the way that the world functions today. Yeah. The same way that people started doing cooking blogs online and it's like, who the fuck gave you the right to share, (laughs) to share your recipes? You don't know how to cook. Did you go to a culinary institute? What's what's your credentials? How did you get, how how did you get where you are? You're not Rachel Ray. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, everyone calm down. And like, Anyone can put themselves out there. It does not matter if you get zero followers or 10 followers. You know what I would love to find is these like amazing blogs that nobody ever followed. I mean, there's probably so much stuff like that out there. If you think about poems that are written that never get published or read, it's just like people doing their own thing. I mean, this whole idea of like who should be entitled to do 
whatever. It's like everyone just do whatever you want. And if you want to experiment with something, experiment with it. And if nobody likes it, who cares? Obviously, I'm talking to myself as I say this. (laughs) This Can you tell I'm talking to myself? Yeah. (laughs) Weren't we going to call one of the previous episodes like do whatever the fuck you want? (laughs) Do do whatever the hell you want. Whatever. (laughs) Maybe that's that's what this one is. (laughs) It's just at the end of the day. Do whatever you want. Right. Who cares? I like it. End of episode. <sighs> just kidding. That wasn't even the yeah, that, that wasn't was even an... the topic. That was me being like, hey, this has been on my mind. This is this is Anyways, just like a, a recentering. I guess yeah. yeah, this is the whole the whole premise of hashtag tots. Mm-hmm. We can do whatever the fuck we tots want. Tots on tots. <laughs> tots on tots. Tots on tots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just... we forgot our intro song. Tots, 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 everybody. And welcome back. That's amazing. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Reality Quest. The second part of this episode is brought to you by Throat Coat Tea. And Woodford Reserve. Right. Double oaked bourbon. Yeah. Actually, shout out to Throat Coat Tea. It's like traditional medicines, does it? If anyone, uh, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, They're pretty it's nice. this tea brand, and it's called Throat Coat. If you ever need to be doing recordings, I've heard it works for singers or people. Mm-hmm. If you're speaking in public, yeah, you gotta talk. Or a lot. if you just have a sore <laughs> throat, it has this some sort of root covering, mm-hmm. and it genuinely works. So Throat Coat, check it out. Yeah, that's my nice. public service announcement. This is prep for when we actually have sponsors. Yeah, just like we're just getting everybody yeah. used to that. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the idea of never having sponsors because, <laughs> you know, I hate money. Um, but I love having fake sponsors. Like, I, I'm actually, yeah. I would be, actually be a little bit sad if we got a real sponsor. <laughs> I like making oh. it up each time. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, like um, Casamigos tequila. Right. George Clooney's that brand. That was our first one. Mm-hmm. It's great. Anyways. Okay. So today, <laughs> things I want to talk about. So last episode, we talked with Jude Dye. A wonderful human being. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Oh, God. Uh, Okay, so working on my synonyms for amazing and wonderful human beings. Okay, so as part of Jude's episode, we started talking about what is the value proposition of VR or XR in general. Right. I feel like a lot of that episode kind of circled around the concept of... Like what makes what makes VR uh, worth caring about for normal people? Right, and how do you then communicate that and talk with people about it? Because right. right now, and one of the big topics in that episode was we overuse the term empathy. Mm-hmm. That it's an em- empathy builder, or that that basically I'm going to sell you a headset, and the reason you should have it <laughs> is that it's going to build empathy for you. Yeah, it's gonna it's it's just going to impart it upon you. Right. Regardless right. of where you're at. And I, life. yeah, I wanted to dig into all of that a bit more because I do find that all fascinating. And it got me into thinking, first of all, what are, what are the uses of XR and related? Okay. So how do we, what is the value of each of those categories and how do we talk about that? And I think that it, the, are the categories, are you thinking from the perspective of like, AR type things or use cases versus VR as like fully immersive type experiences. No. Versus, or okay. So here's how I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about XR. And the reason I, I'm going to try to combine them, my brain will tend towards VR 
But I also think that we've talked about this multiple times. The future we're hoping of XR is that they will be merged together in a lot of ways. They, I don't. Yeah, I would. I would argue this. I mean, we've talked about this off mic. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm so saying. This yeah. Is a, right. This is a worthwhile thing, I think, to clarify at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that really like if you if you say VR specifically, I think that term is constantly used uh, by many much of the like very enthusiast focused community or the hardcore developers within the, in the industry and people coming from the video game side of things VR traditionally means something separate from uh from from AR or from 360 film mm-hmm. or uh room scale like uh location based experiences VR is specifically the fully immersive like you put on a headset and you're separated from the regular world around you and you yeah. have a virtual environment. A lot of some people use VR interchangeably from that meaning to more broadly just mean the whole industry of immersive tech. But I personally I feel like that's confusing and specifically because so many people that have been around in the industry for a while seem to associate it specifically with like fully immersive experiences. Mhm. I, I always I'm I've been pushing for XR in general or just anything that describes like mixed reality extended XR because it's inclusive of everything across that spectrum of immersion from very a very small percentage of just like a little object placed into the real world in mm-hmm. front of you through an AR glasses type interface all the way across to uh, where your entire room is is completely reskinned with different things too fully immersive there's nothing from the real world that you're actually seeing you're in a completely virtual environment and separated but that whole spectrum encompasses all experiences with immersive tech right well i think you make a good point by first of all it seems like most people believe and or want the future to be one where it's really easy to switch between the two basically it could look like some sort of headset where yeah you can switch the level of translucency or opaque but and the reality is a lot of experiences end up mixing different things for instance you could have a 360 video that and which is like of the real world it's like regular video or film right and then you can overlay that with graphics and interaction. So then what do you call that, right? Because mm-hmm. that then becomes a mix of some sort of virtual reality and 360 video. Yeah. And the same thing with augmented reality. I mean, you're you are you're you can see part of the real world, which or you typically the, the all of the real world. Yeah, the 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 foundation upon which everything else is overlaid or imposed is the real world. That's your environment. Right. And you you add things to it. it augmented reality is like it's additive, right, to the real world. But if at some point you're adding so much that it's almost like VR, it's like, well, what's the difference? And so uh, to yeah, your there's... point, I think that they can overlap a lot. And by totally. cre- if we created boxes and didn't allow those boxes to overlap, that would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. But I also think there is reason for those distinctions, and that's because they have at least right now different applications and different uses sometimes yeah. for instance like at least thus far have been kind of distinct in how they've been used right well i mean you could use an example might be let's say you want to do some form of surgery or uh-huh. or surgery training like vr might be a great way to do 
surgery training, mm -hmm. but AR might be what you want when you want helpful information, but you need to see the real person and when, see the body. Yeah, when you're when you're interacting with the real world in right. some way. So anyways, okay, so the categories I'm talking about, generally I'm trying to apply it to all of XR as I talk about this. The, this is interesting uh, because there's you've just described two different dimensions that we need to work with. So like mm. this is almost the concept of a semiotic square. Um, Ooh, what does that mean? It, <laughs> so if you've ever seen a um, an alignment chart, like a, a personality alignment chart, um, or there's this like famous sort of argument about what's what is uh, what where on the alignment of believing that a certain thing is a sandwich or not a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> um, so like on one on one dimension there, like on the x axis, yeah, uh, you have the um, the ingredients perhaps, and then on the y axis you have the structure. And so if you're like a structural and ingredient purist, you're going to be really far to like the top left of that square, meaning that you believe that a sandwich needs to be two separate pieces of bread and it needs mm. to contain meat or something like that. And then if you're like a structural and ingredient rebel, then you're like an a talk an uh like a, a frozen a deep fried Twinkie or something like that as a sandwich. You're like, I don't even care. I don't even care if the structure is similar. There's like dough fried onto a thing and there's stuff inside. That's a sandwich. Mm. Um, so like you could be anywhere on these across these different, uh, these two different dimensions on that sort of chart. So if we make that analogous to VR mm. or XR, sorry, let me use my own. Yeah. insistent term Please here. Please do. <laughs> um, on one part of that spectrum, what you just described is like the level of immersion or the the percentage of what you perceive, everything that you are experiencing at any point in time via your senses. You either see at one end 100% of the real world, like natural reality, or you see 100% of virtual reality or virtual representation. And anywhere in between there is somewhere on that one dimensional spectrum. Mm -hmm. uh, or two-dimensional spectrum. But then if you add the vertical, which is the level of immersion, or uh, not immersion, uh, interactivity. So we could we could impose a second layer there, which is interactivity, whether it's a passive experience or it is a fully uh, individually driven, like you have all of the agency, like in a video game where you are controlling everything you do and mm -hmm. all of the ways that you interact with that environment mm -hmm. versus a movie where you are just a passive observer and you're taken along for the ride and you have no agency. I like this. Yeah. So it's it's immersion or level of immersion on one part of the spectrum and then on the vertical or the y-axis, you've got the amount of interactivity. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I like that. Yeah, we need like an actual visual to. I really think you make should draw worthwhile. one up, and we can we can publish it. Sure. So <laughs> that would be interesting. I'll have to whiteboard this later. But right. Okay. So totally agree with that. And the way that I'm, at least I've been thinking about separating them right now uh -huh. is so in terms of categories that we would place on that semiotic square. So one is uh, obviously entertainment. Right. Or story. Or different kinds of entertainment. Different kinds of entertainment. Okay. Then another one is education. Mm -hmm. Training would fit into education. So let's just say education yeah. Anything training. where you're trying to impart knowledge or, or some sort of teaching space. Thank you. And then... The <laughs> <laughs> no, I genuinely meant thank you. 
I wasn't sure if that was a sarcastic. Like, thank you for clarifying that, Jake. <laughs> that was me oh. trying to use different words. I'm really on the whole synonym thing now. So because I always say right, right, mm-hmm. I was trying to think, what else can I say? And I'm like, thank you. But clearly I didn't del- deliver <laughs> it very well. Indubitably. That is correct. <laughs> No, genuinely, thank you. That was a good description. Thank you. I don't know why. I don't know why when I sound thank you, it sounds so insincere. <laughs> Moving on. And the third bucket is information. Infor- oh, so like the information density? like the cons- I would say uh, information utility might be a better way of describing it. What does the lightest and most extreme look like? Well, I don't know if I have that off the top of my head, but an example uh-huh. is if you're overlaying data on the world, let's say you are at a park and augmented reality gives you information so that uh, you can see what that flower means. Right. I understand okay, so, how that could so be mixed virtual, with education. Virtual information is a, a potential um, a potential what is that that called? It's an it's another dimension to add into this for this equation. I guess for now I'll call it utility. And what I mean by that okay. is that you can you're using it to accomplish something. Okay. So it's information with a goal, with a purpose. Like it is information for some reason. It's not because if you're just looking at the world and there's no information other than the structure of the things you're looking at, uh there's no you're not really mm. being given any sort of there's no goal with that. As soon as you put some sort of piece of information there, it's like it's a label for a flower. The purpose is for that label to tell you something about the flower. I guess. Maybe. And now, okay, so what What? this could obviously feel like education. Yeah. But a difference, so here's maybe a clearer example. Okay. When there is an architect or, sorry, an engineer mm-hmm. trying to build something and they're using augmented reality glasses to follow instructions in order to build the thing. Right. That's a utility where it's enhanced information over the real world, which is allowing them to do their job. That is okay. different to me than education or training, which is creating fictional scenarios, I'll call it, in order for you to learn a topic okay. or for you to practice something. Now, mm. I think that there's probably a Venn diagram here. I th- or maybe we just group it under education I- I don't know. I think you could you could simplify that down to it's all communicating some sort of contextual information. The context being where is that information and what is it relevant to? So cuz you're looking at a space. So you're like either it's a label for something or it's some sort of uh, enhancing pointer or reference. Oh, like spatial, we'll call it spatial spatial information or uh, Yeah, it's like it's contextual, it's contextual data or contextual information. And like that, that is being used in stories as well. Because if you want to emphasize, if you were to imagine that somebody made an augmented reality based interactive or non-interactive experience of some sort, a story, and they want to tell, they want to communicate a story to the the person experiencing this, mm-hmm. you still, you're at the, at the end of the day, you are communicating, communicating additional information or additional data on top of the base reality, the base uh, mm-hmm. world that you're mm-hmm. imparting that, those shapes or that information, those voices, the sounds, whatever it is, it's all new info that wasn't there before. Fair. Even if it's a story. Fair. I mean, in the same way that we can say entertainment can be educating and education uh-huh. can be entertaining, so why would we separate those two? But we know that generally there are different, purposes, there are different but... purposes, 
even though there is overlap. And the same thing, I think, whatever we're calling it, spatial or contextual Mm -hmm. data, uh, that can be educational, but generally the purpose of it is to help you accomplish a specific task in real time where education is more like prepping your mind or helping open your experience. So we could we could think of this as now like three different dimensions. There's there's the level of immersion mm-hmm. uh, over the real world. Okay. Uh, there is the amount of interactivity or agency that you have an experience. A, a, a movie being like the the low interactivity uh, side, and then like an interactive video game being the fully like the most interactive, the most agency. Um, and then you also have maybe maybe information density. I think you were kind of on I, – I liked that direction when you started that before we tried to break it down further because mm. that's really – that is just how much information are you trying to overlay onto that space, onto that – You're saying that's the third lens? That That's another lens that could be added. I mean you add too many and, st- and it starts to become overwhelming. Fair. So you have okay, to focus well, on let something. Me, but... So what I'm talking about, the the at least right now I have four categories and we've gone through three. They all okay. fit into – I'll call it purpose or utility. Okay. Which is, so we have one is entertainment. Okay. Two is education. Three is spatial, contextual, real-time information. Okay. Whatever we want to call that category that Context. I can't come up yeah. come up with a better label right now. Yeah, yeah. And then the fourth one that I'm thinking about is connection. So connection okay. could be like social uh, or some okay. form of life experience. Now- Interesting question, because obviously, like, social can be entertaining, Mm -hmm. but socials, you can have entertainment that's definitely not a social activity. And so there is some sort of connection that I feel like some things would fit in there. Mm -hmm. There was this recent story about this woman who had her daughter, her young daughter, who had passed away very sadly and tragically. Oh, no. (laughs) rebuilt in in virtual reality did you see this article no well i I missed it so they recreated her and then the mother could re-meet her daughter and really yeah that feels very black mirror there was an episode about that (laughs) uh yeah so there's mixed feelings about this some people were really touched by it some people feel like there's an ethical problem with bringing the dead back to life in vr that's Interesting, because my immediate thought is that's just kind of the the logical extreme, like the logical end of writing a eulogy. Yeah. Uh, like what is okay. what is writing a eulogy about someone who's already passed away? What's the purpose of that? It's to evoke all these memories in the the loved ones of that person after they're already gone, and when you you you're representing them somehow, and doing it in VR just seems like a more uh, a more apparent and and more visually focused version of that. I su- I suppose I can That's see one it that way. way. To look at it. But I can also see. First of all, let me let me start with. I actually haven't decided how I feel about this yet, yeah. and I and I don't think I want to make any decisions mm-hmm. because. That's not if me making somebody a wants That's just to my first do thought. that, right? It, then let's say we had the power, the magic in life, to bring the dead back to life. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole philosophical question, totally. and doing this in VR is just a version of that philosophical question. Mm. Would I want to do that with people in my own life? I don't know. I'd have to figure that out. I I don't think so. 
But I also don't necessarily have a problem if somebody chooses to partake in that type of thing for themselves because who yeah. is it? it's not affecting me if they see their dead relative. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that there is a certain power in this. We've had other conversations about this, which is the power of of that, how real VR is and right. what you do or decide to not do and what rules you create due to that power. Mm-hmm. And because writing a eulogy and hearing and sparking memory based off of some written word is in fact extremely different than seeing definitely a ghost <laughs> De- come uh, to life right was this a ghost no i just or... mean i meant a ghost by like the the it's I mean, like it was... seeing a dead person is like seeing a ghost yeah, i mean yeah, it's yeah. just recreating th- the ghost of right. someone who has passed right and when it, you know it's not the actual person right um so yeah it's it's totally different just to disclaim that yeah. I, I would just it's i'm that's <laughs> yeah. not that's not i don't actually feel like that is similar because there's so many other layers there but um but in one way if you just look at it from the perspective of a representation of a person there is the eulogy at the the mm. one end of that spectrum and then there's like completely recreating a, a the image of them and the character of them through something like VR. Right. No, I mean, I think um, you make a point, which is but, what are you doing other than bringing back memories of them? Ultimately, right. it has the same goal. It's just that one yeah. is imagined in your head and one becomes well, realer. they're all imagined in your head. Now we're getting real fast. <laughs> well, but that I, that is a fair... Am I imagining this right now? No, well, yes. I mean, you, <laughs> you haven't... So, like, every person has an entire... Even if I'm not dead, I'm here right now. You have an entire universe perception of me. You have this whole character shaped in your head that is Jay mm-hmm. and what you perceive me to be at any point in time. And obviously that's continuing to change because I keep reappearing periodically in your life, in your perception. Um, but after somebody's passed away, then you're just you're only going off of like your reconstructed memory of them. And any new information that you find out over time, right? Um, so then you're kind of just recycling your own perception and 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 adjusting it a little bit every time you remember that. Yeah. So on in that perspective, it it is not any. It's not actually any different. You're still just kind of like re-experiencing them, whether it's a very precise communication to your to your perception of that person, like in VR, mm. it's literally an image of them versus. A description of them in a eulogy yeah and you're you're just you are again seeing them in your mind's eye yeah. just the same but that one is more personally constructed the vr one is more information dense as far as a description of them yeah. it's literally the visual so then and i think i yeah. mean your your example of just what i think ignoring the whole eulogy thing and what's written down right, just right. the power of our own memories yeah and what we can reconstruct or in our dreams. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had many dreams that make me cry waking up to them because it's of somebody I've lost. And and my whole brain will recreate that person exactly as I remembered them. Mm-hmm. Even though I actually don't really feel like I can do that in the daytime. I don't really feel like – like I can think of somebody and I can get sad or whatever. But dreams have this whole way of – I don't even know how to remember those mannerisms of somebody. It's like because there – maybe because there is the separation from when you – you go unconscious when you hit deep sleep. And so then when you slide out of unconsciousness into a dream, 
just like when you're waking up from deep sleep, it whatever you're waking up into feels real mm-hmm. until otherwise proven to not be real. Like until you've actually woken up fully conscious, your dream feels like you're fully conscious. Right. In many cases. Unless there's like super weird things that then you become aware of and you're like, this is this is weird. Why would yeah. this happen? Yeah. And then you're like, you know, you're coming out of the dream at that point. Right. But that that happens to me so often where uh, I, I am dreaming of things that feel completely normal and not weird. And then I get out of that dream and wake up and I'm really confused as to what all of that last, I don't know, day of imaginary memories were. Yeah. Sometimes those will stick with me for, for, for days or weeks. There's some that I remember years later. And that's a whole, that, that was all a freaking dream. It was all imaginary. Yeah. But it's not actually all that different from everything else. Right. It's just the power of what our, our minds already do right. brought into a, a specific forum. Yeah. So like what, what is, okay. So my yeah, point so is, the, so, so where does that experience fit? I think is a good question. <laughs> yeah. Is it entertain? It feels really weird to call that entertaining. It's not mm. really educational and it's not that real time contextual information. So I think that fits into something about connection. And I think that connection. Okay. So here's, here's a question. There's Jude had brought up in the past episode, the uh-huh. general idea of experiences because she didn't like the term entertainment. Right. I don't necessarily agree with her about, mm-hmm. I think entertainment can be, it all, it all depends on how you define it. And right. I do get how she's defining entertainment, but all, she has one all movies, on it, but... right. All movies and books could fall under entertainment. Yeah. I mean, but there are books and movies that have sincerely moved me, challenged me, changed me. To so to much kind more of extreme degrees. Then. Yeah. Degrade that by just saying, oh, that falls under an entertainment category. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. And so, but I still put that under entertainment. Mm. So connection would be obviously social fits under there, but in that scenario where the child is being brought back to life, the mm. mother is connecting with her child. You could also argue that if you do some sort of hike in vr maybe you're connecting with that so with with what feels like the natural world and some sort of natural environment so we could have one category for connection and put everything in that or we could have one that is social slash connection and then another one that is we call life experience that that feels really really broad i know that's why i don't know what to call it what do you mean by that is that is that referring which of the things you so let's say you decide that connection is really just social or something like we could still fit the whole uh bringing back to life this child in there Mm -hmm. but what do you do with experiences that are that is something like you get to climb mount everest in vr right is that entertainment is that so i we need to we need to d- kind of describe what each of these things like what kind of experience goes into each of these right we keep we use the word experience so much i've been noticing this for a while now but it is the sort of encompassing term of anything that you go through and have are impacted by right so yeah <laughs> 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 and like at the heart of it it's literally just you go through it you I think live it's through because something people don't know what to call if you call so film and movies have their own term books have their own term games have their own term and vr and ar don't have their own term so people call it experiences well because you it's more like you lived through 
something in VR. Yeah. I mean, Even though film is an experience. A book is an experience. I, I totally get your point. It's there's just no that verb. There's no verb for VRing. Yeah, there's like experiencing. Like you don't play VR, a VR film, or playing. You can play well, you, VR. You, yeah, yeah, sure. Some things you can play in VR. I think that it's uh well for video games. So play has become the unanimous term. Well, com- to play a video game. Yeah. Well, computers. Uh, with computers in general, there's verbs for different things that you do, and so uh-huh. I think that with with. XR platforms, it's the same thing. It depends on you could play a game in VR. You can watch a movie in VR. You can, but I think ultimately right. the problem is that all of that pulls from these previous experiences. And the reality is it's so different from those watching a movie. So people could even get really picky and think about, oh, watching a movie in VR yeah. literally means going into a theater and watching a 2D yeah. movie in VR versus watching an a, an immersive movie in VR. So uh, the problem so here's the thing. The it's okay. We don't have all the language for it yet. That will all techniques and Why the language not? around an industry takes so much time to develop. Yeah. I was reading related to all of this a lot about the history of the film industry uh-huh. and i felt like really comforted by that because it's been over a century and yeah. and we have figured out a lot in that time there were all these different phases of like what was popular at that time whether it was uh like newsreels or musicals or um how long the films are like they started off as black and white obviously mm-hmm. like without sound and then they were only one minute long and then like eventually you know decades or so later they get uh brought into they're like 60 minutes long right, right. and so the point is i know that there's a lo- there's a history of vr like everyone gets upset when they say it's new because they're like you got started in the 80s i'm like all right calm <laughs> the fuck down okay that's like saying that movies oh, got God. started with like projectors it's like yes you can go back to like re- like the 1800s like the mid 1800s yeah. you could make arguments that movies got started with archaic storytelling like do whatever you want I mean, in this people, argument we we could take this all the way back to like literally movies got started with with plays and plays got started with write, written stories and written yeah. stories got started I mean, with it's cave all, paintings. It's all and, connected. But the point yeah. is there are phases in which things grow bigger and bigger and then yeah. it gets adopted more by the masses. And so I'm referring to the the now, which is when XR is starting to get actually adopted by consumers. I'm not yeah. referring to all the past. But even if we do include all of the past, I mean, you can go back like, when we talk to Tom Furness and you can say whatever, whatever it started back then. But really, I think like the beginning is more, it's closer to now. Like the past will be all of that context and the background of that build up to something. Mm-hmm. But the start of adoption is really in this century. Right. And so given that we have a lot of time, if film took so long or even I guess like computers went and like the web went a bit faster, but Mm -hmm. we still have a lot of time that would be expected to develop the terminology, the lexicon, whatever it is to help us talk through these things. So I'm okay that we're calling things experiences, Mm -hmm. but I do like like part of us talking through all of this right now is to try to help figure that out with each other and with everyone else is how do 
we talk about these things in a way that yeah. is helpful. And that's not like, hey, here's an empathy machine. You can experience stuff <laughs> through empathy it. Empathy machine. Yeah. That's so, that's so VR. Funny now that I experience. Say that. Back. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Yeah. No, that's like what all of us talk about it that way. Right. And it's like the big thing. And I feel like there should just be this tagline of just like, have experiences, uh, have empathetic experiences in VR. It's like, what? How is that a selling point? Like, who even? <laughs> like, no, thank you. If somebody sold me a movie by saying that I would feel very empathetic watching it, I'd be like, no fucking shit, dude. Isn't that the whole point of movies? Like maybe, we, maybe we are the- empathetic human beings who want to live vicariously through the character. So this is an interesting problem with uh, with saying that VR is empathetic. It's like saying that Canvas is empathetic yeah. or, or creates empathy. So more people should paint because painting creates empathy. Or like the canvas itself is what creates empathy. VR is a canvas for all of these potential ways to tell stories or to put people through things or to play games in VR that are just more immersive. Uh, But it's really it's a medium medium in itself. And Mm -hmm. so saying that it's empathetic is it's just it doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah. The empathy is actually based on the content that is the information that is being communicated to and the person that is receiving that info. Because hmm. there's no empathy if the person can't relate to the info that's being communicated to them. Right. I get that. So like the audience matters as well as yeah. just as much as the, the medium. Right. And I get that empathy generally means being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. But actually... Empathy often means that you've you can literally like you've already experienced something and you can be empathetic towards someone where you like really feel for them. You can empathize with them. Right. And so I just think that's the wrong word. The word that I like is actually perspective because all and by the way, all mediums can do this. So if you watch if you read a a conversation can do this yeah conversation can do this if you read a good book it will give you perspective on the world or perspective on a character's uh, emotions that you might may not have had before or that just like gives you a certain truth that maybe you already knew or maybe you just saw it from a different angle the common the only common thing between all of those different mediums is your you putting the mental energy in to actually imagine yourself in that position Mm -hmm. so like whether that is through reading or talking to somebody it's like reading a whole book or having a bunch of conversations with people enough that you can start to imagine yourself in those shoes or watching a really uh evocative movie um or going through a vr experience whatever it is it's if it gets you to the point where you start being able to do the, the the mental backflips to put yourself in an imagined circumstance, then you start to feel empathetic. Mm-hmm. But none of those in, those things in particular just creates empathy. Right. It's it's that you you are able to build up enough context and and break down enough of your own cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. with the differences in what you've experienced from that that you can actually start to create that mm-hmm. reality in your own imagination. It's the connection between the human who is experiencing it along with how that story or that experience is being told or presented yeah. to them. Yeah. Hmm. And not, not to devalue that. That's, that's not to say that someone who's never been through a particular experience can experience what that's like just by building up enough context 
but not actually going through the thing itself. Like there is obviously something to be said for literally going through the same experience, literally walking in somebody else's shoes. Um, but if you want to talk about generating empathy in general, it's like it doesn't matter what medium you're using. You're just – they're like different ways or conduits to a person's imagination. Mm-hmm. That's how I've. I, that's how I'm like thinking about this now. Yeah. After all these different conversations, yeah. um, it's just trying. It's like how. What is the best way to get to that person's imagination? Their their imaginative power to recreate a new perspective. Mm-hmm. So okay, if we say then that first, that if if it depends on the person and any type of medium can make someone empathetic or give perspective Mm. well then we're kind of like okay so then what what is the the differentiator (laughs) the value proposition of xr um and i also feel like my brain is exploding because i just want to talk about too many things but one of those two is (laughs) i think you're I'm so on the same page about this whole imagination thing and that it has something to do with how it taps into our imagination. This is why we need guests because we need people to disagree so that we can like I know. pick apart these things even further. I think you're wrong, Jay. <laughs> Does that make you happy? Um, well, so I I feel like it totally has to do with imagination and what – I think, okay, the, I want to go back to the structure because the problem is I start like – going too all over right, the right. place. We're getting okay. too far away from that original goal. Right. Of... So let's like step by step get to where we want to get. So yeah. so the first thing was trying to define what are the categories and then we can go by each category to say what is the value of that category. Mm-hmm. So where we were at was that we have um we had we had levels of the the amount of immersion. We have with, well no, I'm no. at your uh, oh entertainment versus yeah so versus, right. Okay. So th- I want to talk about those lenses that you're talking about, but right. I want to they're gonna add on to later because yeah. I need to be clear on what categories because that's not the categories you're talking about are like around what is the purpose of the content. Right. right? And it's, that's what I'm trying to get at, which okay. because we're about to talk about the value proposition. So there's a difference between the value proposition of the content versus Okay, how does that change when you add the lens of interaction or oh, not? Oh, yeah. Do you okay. see what I'm saying? To- okay, this is a clear separation. Awesome. This is really good. Thank you. you just, You're like, you, welcome. You just planted That a, was a genuine yeah. thank you. I felt that. <laughs> it really was. I need to work on that. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, okay. So now we have separately um, the medium itself, if you want to describe the advantages or the powers of this canvas of XR. Or initially, we were talking about uh, the amount of immersion, the amount of interactivity, and like maybe the amount of information being communicated at any mm-hmm. point in time. Um, and then totally separate from that, that's all just about the canvas itself, mm-hmm. XR as a tool mm-hmm. for yes. communicating anything. We're talking about categories now. Categories is what is the purpose of the content exactly. and the message yes. and the information. Yes, that's what I'm trying to get at. And okay. then we go by each one to say, okay, what is the value that purpose or category right. brings us. Because at the end of the, end of the oh my gosh, at the end of the day. <laughs> You're the just whole, really excited. <laughs> trying to say too many things at once. Skip, skip to the point. <laughs> um, the whole purpose of content. Well, the whole purpose of content is to accomplish something. Like you're yes. trying to reach somebody by communicating right. things. So what are you doing? Right. For? And this all relates again back to what came up in the last episode with Jude, which is, well, what? problem is vr or xr solving 
And that just really got me thinking. Okay, so given that, that's how I want to go about this. So the first thing we need to do is align on those categories to make sure we're generally not missing anything. So we have entertainment, we have education, Mm. we have contextual data, we have... What is context- contextual data? Where is that? Oh my God, Jay, we just talked well, about it. No, no, no. But- I can't like <laughs> discuss this any further. <laughs> well, but but that's it seems to not fit. You said education. You said entertainment. Yeah. And then you said contextual data. Yes, that's a third. Oh, okay. oh my God, I feel okay, like we no, need a you, whiteboard. No, because- no, no, I know what you mean for that, but I think the term is... I already said I don't know what to fucking call okay. this term, Jay. Well, to just to remind myself on that, contextual data you is You called like, it contextual, so I was trying to make uh, you happy. <laughs> it's like spatial information. I wrote information it's for a job. in real time. It's spatial a, it's, information or utility. It's utility-focused info. Oh, God. We'll come up with a better name. Whatever. But can we just yeah. call it... You, you okay. Call it whatever you want sure, to call it. Sure, It's It's... Stop okay. bothering me about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Let's okay. So you said entertainment, education, something that has utility, like for a job. Yes. Like somebody's working on a power line. Yes. Okay. In like real time, let's call right. it. Because obviously education can help with jobs. But, it could also okay. be CAD. It could also they could also yeah, be like creating models like in exactly. full immersion. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Way. Oh, good point. So VR fits in that one. Thank you. Because yeah. I was thinking, is that just AR? Uh okay. And then the the last one I have was connection. Okay. So which could mean social, social or which could mean connection with something else like mountains or connection with the world, like feeling. experiencing something, feeling something. Yeah. Now, we, like I said, we could separate something out into like life experience. Yeah. So but maybe let's leave it as is. Okay. And then if we want to break it down further as we get there or as yeah. we learn more, we can, we can, I think what we should do is after we re-listen to this, mm-hmm. we'll like create a diagram and label some stuff mm-hmm. and then keep revising that totally. as we have these We're conversations. Building a model. Yes. Oh yeah. my God, Jay, are you so excited? You're building a model. You model lover, <laughs> you. So just to make a comment on that particular thing, yeah. I do, I do, maybe we can keep those all in one category for now because I'm, I'm going to look at this as humans anthropomorphize everything. So, mm-hmm. like, anytime that you, somebody feels like they really connect with nature, or they go out into the mountains and they feel like they connect with the natural environment. Or you feel like you go to a concert and you connect with all these other people there. Mm-hmm. Or the artist on the stage. Or you have a deep conversation like between you and I and we really connect on something. Mm-hmm. Or I really connect with my pet rock as a kid. Whatever. Like you're literally – you are projecting a some sort of agency and personality, some sort of mm-hmm. sentience to that thing that mm-hmm. you can connect with. Ooh. So it's like any experience – or or setting where you mm. feel connected to something else. Yeah, I like it. Okay, and so that's a whole again, category. right? Again, obviously that can happen through entertainment and education. Right, but like these we're are, trying to create. We're trying. We're trying but. to do our best to cleanly separate, knowing that there's a lot of overlap. Yeah, and we'll keep revising this and working on it. But it's going to help us talk through some stuff, and then if we get as we learn through our conversations, or if we get feedback based mm-hmm. on people listening to this and having their opinions. Great. Cool. We can take another look at it. Yeah. Okay. So those four categories, do you think I'm missing anything? Hmm. I, what I would try to think of is what doesn't fit into those. Can I think of any examples that that fall outside of education, um, entertainment, mm-hmm. connection, and utility? Hmm. Uh... I can't right now. Okay, we'll, great. We'll keep thinking Let's on that. Let's move on. <laughs> so, so then 
the question is, okay, what what is the value or what does that category, what problem does that category solve? For each of those. For each of those. Now, I think that we can get one out of the way, which is utility. Like, come on. Right. I feel like that's a boring one to talk about. Right. It's just like, yeah, it helps you accomplish a task. Literally. You could say it's goal-oriented, but it's only goal-oriented in that it's literally like it's focused on some sort of societally considered productivity. It's like you're doing a job, you mm-hmm. have a clear goal in mind, I want to build a model of this building, this architectural rendering. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work in in VR or partial VR for the next few hours and kind of uh, move stuff, stuff around in yeah. this space or build a model or whatever. Or you're working on a real-life power line and you've got contextual information popping up around what you're doing, uh, like showing you the voltage in the line at the moment or like what kind of line that is and what kind of tool you should use for it. Or it's a surgery. Mm-hmm. And it's like literally identifying different parts in the body as you're working. Yeah. That's all utility. Right. Perhaps. Which it helps you accomplish a task that is the problem it's solving is, I mean, it's really improving the way in which and the speed in which we can accomplish tasks. It's also that all, I feel like something like Google Maps that it, but yeah. augmented is yeah. like that because you're, you're literally trying to find a good restaurant in town and you tell it, hey, what restaurants are nearby that are really good? And it pops up a bunch mm-hmm. of different uh, labels yeah. on the sides of the buildings around you for like, oh, this one's got like right. this many reviews, blah, blah, blah. Cool. It's it's Vietnamese food, whatever. Yeah. Um, and like that is also utility because there's a goal in mind. Right. Or at least a a that, that all of these things have a goal, but like this is a productivity type goal. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. So I feel like let's ignore that one. Okay. Because we basically, we feel good about, we feel good about, that's actually... Probably the, the the reason that businesses can argue. So I would say that and then also the education training mm-hmm. group, those feel like they're being sold pretty well. It's, Meaning it's like easier people, to communicate it's the easier benefit to, or the, the value problem. Exactly. And yeah. like corporations are bringing them into training. It's like these feel like the two where people can talk about that in a easier and people are already using it in the way that they're supposed to be used and people can understand their value. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then we have the two that are the weird ones, which is entertainment and connection. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about, I don't know, which one do you want to talk about first? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about connection first. Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's very thematic with Jude's episode. Totally. She's a total connection kind of person. Both of those are actually really thematic with her episode Mm because we also started to dig into entertainment. Yeah. And I would like to. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we'll get there. Oh, for sure. (laughs) That's the one (laughs) I care most about. Yeah. So, so connection to, to jump back to that. I, my, my thought right now is that connection is literally any time that you feel connected to something external. Okay. Um, whether that is a person or it is the external, nature. you mean from yourself, from yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can feel really aligned or like centered with yourself. Oh, well, meditation. Let's talk about, does that fit sure. into this category? Um, I, I think so. It's connection with the self. Yeah, I do think so. Because oh you, you perceive you know yourself as separate. Exercise. Um. Yeah, we forgot exercise. Uh, I would that. Mm, <laughs> I don't want to have a whole debate on like trying to categorize every single kind of activity, but would exercise fit into? It's not a training thing. 
Yeah, you can I guess mix health. it into entertainment. Oh, nice, nice. Exercise and health. And uh, we can also ignore that one because the value is also pretty clear, which yeah. is like if you can get great exercise in VR mm -hmm. and be distracted or it can improve your health in some way. Yeah. Great. Now, I think meditation would be in the, in the middle of that kind of Venn diagram situation or that right. overlap because it These could are, give you connection yeah. with yourself. It could also be healthy. Mm -hmm. But I do think that is its own category and we get the benefit of that. Yeah. So we can ignore it. But I'm adding I, it I to might, the list. I might. I might want to make an argument on that later. Okay, right that's now, fine. right now, I'm we're fine entitled with it. to change all of our opinions on this. Totally, <laughs> we can do whatever the fuck we want, Jay. That's the theme of this episode. <laughs> yeah, these are these are all in theory. What is the 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 saying goes that like uh, all models are wrong, some are useful. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't know that was a saying. Yeah, yeah the, uh, I can't remember the guy that that actually came up with that. He was a statistician. I, I think love British. that. It's yeah. like clicking for me right yeah. now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, like that's a great saying. You anytime the whole concept of a model is like a simplified. That's the erroneous word. A simplified view of something, and the reality is always complex. Of course, intractable. But we have to. We're trying to get something to be helpful. Yeah, yeah. We we want we want something useful. Right. Which it is there's always that that person that picks apart everything to death, and that person is not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> don't be that guy <laughs> don't don't be that let person. us get somewhere before we pick things apart okay <laughs> so back to connection okay so get, you're talking about how it's connection with something external or potentially i think connection I think we perceive everything as external even ourself like you think of yourself as an external entity almost oh man my brain just blew up <laughs> Who am like, I? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's like I think you have to, right? Like the whole the whole point, everything where our our consciousness is built mm. on is externalizing things. We're externalizing just avatars, yeah, yeah. Like because like there's the you that is in the moment right now thinking about themselves. Mm. But when as soon as you say that you yourself is a separate thing, you have to step outside of that center and think about it. Mm. So that's either you. Like exploring your own consciousness, uh, you know, that's where you start to blur the line because you're just letting subconscious thoughts kind of bubble up as you meditate, maybe, if that's your goal. Yeah. Or you are just trying to feel connected with the dirt and trees and things around you out in nature where you're trying to feel connected in a conversation with another human. Yeah. Or animal, whatever. I love it. Okay. So then what's the, what's the benefit of connection? <sighs> what problem does connection solve? It solves uh, loneliness. Right? Yeah. It solves like you know, the value proposition of feeling connected with anything. I think that if if I try to answer this in short, it solves a f it it gives well the the I, I don't want to reuse the word utility, but the utility of it, the the novelty of it is because we as humans need connection. Either even with ourselves or other things around us. Like there, we have to feel connected to something in some capacity. Otherwise, we're just kind of like lost in the void. Mm -hmm. um, it, so there's this person I was reading about who has they, – they define – again, this is like a model that I'm sure is wrong but helpful. Sure. Which they, they say there are these three main psychological needs and one is competence – Control okay. or mastery. One is autonomy, which is control over 
actions, like the opposite would be manipulation. Sure. And then the third is relatedness, which I think is what we're talking about, which is we need to feel like we matter to others. And like we fit into yes. some sort of context. That's why we constantly feel anxiety when we mm. feel like we don't fit. I think it's a feeling of belonging. I like that word because yeah. because then it encapsulates connection with the earth as well as with human beings because you need to feel like you matter but there are times where like if you're out in nature and you actually feel small and that's a good feeling mm. that doesn't make you feel like you matter it just it doesn't what, <sighs> well you you say matter and i think you're talking about I think you're talking about like feeling like you're contributing somehow mm-hmm. or yeah. like the things that you do make a difference yeah. to anybody else. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if I would say that uh, – I don't necessarily think that you that, – that like standing out in nature makes you feel part of this huge thing, this massive, overwhelmingly large system, place, presence, just being in that space and you're a part of it. Hmm. I mean, it, it, uh, this is all subjective. Like you could perceive it that way. You could also perceive it as I don't matter because I'm so small. Mm-hmm. There was, there's lyrics by this band uh, called Mimicking Birds that I really like. And there's like one in six billion people. Uh, how, could, how could they make a difference at all or something like that? I swear. Yeah, it's like I swear it's not me. I'm too small. How can that affect anything at all? I am one in six billion. I can't be at fault. How could that affect anything at all? Um, Yeah. Mm. So it's just, it's like you could feel that way, overwhelmingly insignificant. You Mm. could also look at that as overwhelmingly connected to everything. Mm Mm-hmm. I I feel like those are just kind of like a a pessimism versus optimism. Yeah. I I can see that, yeah. I I, I think that's like a, that seems to fit on like a a pessimistic versus an optimistic sort of spectrum Mm -hmm. view of reality, Mm -hmm. which everybody has their own natural lean there. Okay, so. we're getting kind of esoteric. Right, (laughs) okay, well, I think that we could could talk about that, how we define that and how... Mm -hmm forever but you can find that in real life and so what is vr or xr doing for us when it provides that if we can find that in real life connection that when it when it provides us that connection yes what is so what is it solving uh, yeah i mean i think i feel like we already i guess yeah we said we said loneliness the need to feel like a part of something to belong to something to be uh, part of something greater. Fe- yeah, feeling connected makes it feel like you matter in some capacity at all. Yeah, feeling connection feels like you matter. Which we've seen already by our discussions with social VR that this is an obvious solution because there are plenty of people who, for various reasons, have trouble connecting in the real world, and yeah. or maybe they don't get enough connection, or they're prevented. From connecting, whatever that reason is, they find those connections. It's a new means for doing that. Yes. For connecting. Yes. And so I want to, before we move on to a different category, mm-hmm. one thing I want to drive into here is I was having, because I can't go any episode without mentioning my mom. This is a new, <laughs> it's the challenge of the year. How can I integrate her? And she had listened to 
Evie's episode three, which I was like, oh, my God, if she's already like she basically had this opinion of like, oh, I just like I'm scared by all of this technology. And I thought, oh, right. Oh, my God. If she's scared by Evie's episode, please don't listen to Mike. Don't go any further. (laughs) Stop there. Stop. You know what? (laughs) Run away now. We're not doing the podcast anymore. (laughs) Don't even don't even listen. Nothing happens. Lie to her. Yeah. We're done. But I also, well, she had a funny anecdote. So much worse. (laughs) Yeah, she had a hilarious anecdote there, which is she said, "Oh well, uh, you know, it's all just I just prefer the real world." And she goes, "But you know, I'm just old, and you know, I did cry when your father used uh, uh, the microwave to warm up tea instead of using the tea kettle, which just like encapsulates (laughs) that to me is a hilarious. By the way, they're divorced but good friends now. Okay, and it's just like I laugh so much about it because that just encapsulates so much about their relationship to me. It's like my dad trying to just microwave some hot water and my mom (laughs) crying. Okay, I'm like, oh, what a wonder that you guys didn't work out. Okay, so, uh, but (laughs) I mean, she had this connection with her. It's very fascinating to me. So she she would watch her. She had a very close relationship with her great grandmother, and her great grandmother was is was Scottish, and she would always Mm. heat up tea and serve tea in this old fashioned tea kettle, and so that to her was more than just heating up tea. I think that there's this feeling of, yes, there's stuff where we're scared about microwaves and what they can do. And we're often scared. Like something always feels inauthentic or maybe there's – or unnatural when we add new mechanisms of doing something. Like Like you add a new layer to it somehow, which is the the tea kettle or in this instance, it's the microwave. Yeah. I mean – devalues it somehow. So – yeah, so I think that there's there's always a couple of reasons people struggle with certain technological advancements. Yeah, let's take the microwave for existence. For for existence. <laughs> for <example. laughs> for it, it let's take the microwave for it that, exists. <laughs> that whiskey is starting to get to me. Oh, <laughs> so the microwave obviously is amazing in many ways and how it can quickly heat things up. But then there's all these this talk about cancer and yada yada and what it could potentially be causing. And there's like this old fashioned sense of don't use a microwave. My sister doesn't right. doesn't use a microwave. And I live that way for a little bit. It drives me crazy because I drink my I like my coffee really hot. Now I'm just on a whole different topic. <laughs> <laughs> this is just turned into a crazy tangent. <laughs> so anyway, like excusing microwaving has, coffee. So anyways, this is how I like my coffee. <laughs> oh God. Okay, I'm no. shaking my head at this. Okay. This so so, no. <laughs> all right. So, but so microwaves give us a lot of benefit. There are some genuine health scares that people have. Ge- genuine in that it's not unreasonable to be scared of new technologies just on principle that it's something new and it you don't know what the effect is. Well, yes. And but, I think there's literally now this is something I need to look up, but right. I mm. believe there's actual stuff about like microwaves causing radi- radiation or something like that. There's well, something I mean, about microwaves. Micro- microwave radiation is a thing. Yeah. Um, but the way that they're built is not like no significant amount of radiation actually escapes the Faraday cage of the microwave. Yeah. It's literally a, a, a metal mesh that is built inside of that container that is the right, like the holes are the right size that it blocks out any of that microwave wavelength. Okay. Of energy. So it, it doesn't get to escape that box and it turns off immediately and dissipates when you open the door. It's instant. Uh, so there's like it, there's like maybe there's trace amounts of microwave radiation, but it's not significant compared to 
the overall ambient environmental in, uh, okay. energy. So like Fine. it's I'll it's believe not you because I don't know enough to contradict you. But <laughs> Uh, okay, so riddle me this: Why, <laughs> why, <laughs> why? <laughs> it starts to be that giggly, giggly portion of the night. Okay, so why do you use a hot water tea kettle instead of the microwave for tea? I think I actually, me personally, I've got nostalgia with a tea kettle. Yeah. Okay. So, oh my god. But I, I actually, I prefer an actual like. I would prefer a tea kettle over a fireplace to. And a, a even a stovetop tea kettle, but it's not something that I can do. And because it also, stovetop t- tea kettles take so long. There, there's just something. No, like it, it takes. It would take even longer to put a tea kettle over a fire and boil water. But, but you prefer that. I mean, if I could do that, I would do that. It you just, do love there's, fire. There's, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like a good Yule log in a fireplace in in your your warm cozy cabin in the middle oh, yeah. of winter time. I there's just there is a nostalgia with visions of the past. And it feels like a very, uh, it, it feels like a very olden, like simpler times perception of when you could go and put the kettle over the mantle um, at your fireplace yeah. and, and boil your water that way. Okay, so you're literally defending my mom's position right now. I'm, so yeah, no, yeah. I, well, I'm not. I am <laughs> maybe defending. Is I am you're... partially. I am. I am. I'm saying that it's not unreasonable to feel that way in general. What I what I personally do feel is unreasonable is when you are confronted with information that shows that there's not a that that deconstructs some part of your rationale for why you you don't use do that thing mm-hmm. that you ignore it mm. and you say well I don't like it uh, I then, okay totally agree yeah. so there's a difference between having a knowledgeable preference knowing that right. maybe it's a bit silly and nostalgic yeah or just nostalgic versus and and accepting the fact that like yep the microwave's no problem mm-hmm. tea kettle uh the hot electric tea kettle no problem i yeah. just happen to have this preference because i'm old school yeah i don't think there's actually there's there's not like actually any difference or discernible difference in like mm-hmm. microwaved hot water versus boiled like mm. stovetop or electric kettle. I know some water, people who but... have very strong opinions about that. I know. They're like but... disgusted <clears throat> by hot water being heated up in the microwave. That well, being coffee, said. Coffee though, once you start introducing other materials into there, like oils from coffee, mm. you could be breaking them down very differently. Like cooking an egg in the microwave versus on a stovetop is very different. Mm. All right. Well, <laughs> it's more we'll complicated. Have a whole episode you... about microwaves. I don't even know. Should we just talk about microwaves for the rest of it? I don't even know what we were talking about. No, uh, I think that <laughs> microwave whatever you want. That's yeah. actually the name of this episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So, what I was going to bring up with regards to that category of connection is that my mom basically had this opinion of I just prefer real life, and she is scared by all this technology. But what we're talking about in this category is how much is basically like what you get in real life. We're talking about social connection, connection. So I want to bring up, we had talked about that conscious, the journey of consciousness or I'm, uh, do you remember, we were just talking about it on a different the thoughts journey, on thoughts. The, journey the of consciousness. conscious existence, conscious existence that experience in VR. You were talking about how you showed oh, it to oh, your oh, family. The, oh, the three sixty experience. Yeah. Right, right. So it's a, it's a it, on that spectrum of interactivity. It is passive, meaning that you can't do anything to the environment around you. You're just kind of along for the ride. Yes. Now, when I experienced that, 
it was so beautiful. And I have a specific image in my head. It takes you through a lot of different things. Like you had mm-hmm. mentioned, maybe a kind of womb-like feeling. It or feels like you're in a womb. Space feeling. Yeah, you're in nebulas. Right. But one of them is you're going over this like these green grasses and you have these trees around you. Yeah. And I remember this feeling Rays of, light of kind of going through the yeah, branches. Yeah, yeah. And... and I remember that feeling of that awestruck beauty and wanting to reach out and just kind of touch the leaves mm-hmm. of the trees. Drag your fingers through the tall grass. And... Totally. Yeah. And that has that effect, that that connection experience for me. So this that experience would be would fall somewhere in between the entertainment and the connection category mm-hmm. uh, because it really did have this weird meditative connection feeling with the world. So what it sounds like you're describing and what we experience in that kind of situation is the connect that feeling of connection is actually just feeling very innately tied to or connected to like a part of the space that you're in. Mm -hmm. And that could be people around you. Mm -hmm. And that could be the middle of the mountains and gazing out at the horizon and valleys splaying out before you. But somehow you feel part of this thing that is bigger than yourself. Yeah. At least, yeah, your your self-center. Well, so, yeah, and drugs can do this. Totally. So... Or at least they, 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 they blur the, the normal edges of your sensory. Right. Like and your, so your certain drugs space. are known to give you that type of connection experience. Things like, I mean. Like DMT? Or DMT. Something? That's, yeah. a, that's actually the exa- exact example. For anyone who doesn't know what DMT is, it's a drug that is supposedly a chemical that's released when you're born and when you die. Oh, and right. yeah. it sounds like a. You should just look it up. It's a really bizarre. <laughs> it's a really bizarre experience. I've never done it, but I've I heard that it's a really bizarre experience. And but that generally a lot of people have similar experiences with it, and that it mm-hmm. causes a feeling. I think it's pretty inexplicable, but we'll call it connection of some sort, like yeah. some different perspective on the world and their connection to that world. It's like, I mean, when you're in that moment where you're you're passing through these pastures and fields and a forest and there are tree branches uh, undulating above you and rays of light shining down your face and you start to feel that warmth and want to reach out and run your fingers through the grass and the tree branches. Yeah. You, it's like your edges are blurring. Yeah. The the edges of what you perceive as yourself are blurring. It's like what happens sometimes in a meditative state or maybe under uh certain chemicals like DMT. It it kind of it it blurs the lines where you normally say this is where I end and everything else begins. Yeah. This is the edge. Yeah, which feels like I think there are certain things that are innate in in people or animals. Yeah. For instance, my cats do that thing where they they eat and they do that scratchy thing where they're like burying their food well yeah that too the kneading oh right. um but Which that's more like, like learned from taking childhood. milk from the mother but right. uh i'm talking about when they like try to they they scratch the ground because they're trying to hide uh, basically store their food for right. for later but if you have people have cats that have only ever lived in homes and been domesticated that mm-hmm. do this they never needed right. to save their food for later, and they're not actually – they're scratching at a wooden floor or yeah. a tile floor. 
there's nothing that they're burying or storing. Nevertheless, they do this activity. Yeah. And I think there are things in all animals that are like that, this innate understanding. Those and are for, our instincts that are. Right. Yeah. And for us, it, there is something about like touch or the fact that, to your point about how certain lines get blurred, it's like, oh, you just reach out. Like you don't even know. You just kind of reach out and want to feel that without thing and explore it. it. Yeah, yeah, without even thinking about it. And that is that was a big thing for me where, okay, this is something in VR that's very different. I don't do that in when I'm reading a book and I don't right. do that when yeah. I'm watching a movie. <laughs> but I got this feeling of like, oh, I just want to do exactly what I might want to do in real life. Mm-hmm. But I'm in a safe space where I – and an Im- imaginary place where I'm well, floating and in this beautiful world that is like made up for me. But and and I can reach out and maybe touch this tree if I want to. Now in this experience, they didn't have interaction, so nothing was yeah. going to happen if I reach out. The, the environment won't respond to you. It's still um, it's still right. passive, right? Which but. is which is fine. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But the point is, like, okay, so what does that really do for us? Why why do something like that in VR? And how can you sell that to somebody like my mom? So for me, I think it has something to do with that safe space that it's not that, yes, I get it that when you put on a headset or when you're looking at your phone or when you're looking at your computer, you're in a virtual space and you're not in the real world. But if you can accomplish the same things and the question becomes, so why do that in VR Mm -hmm. versus go out and touch a tree outside? Right. Because you can't necessarily go out and touch the tree. But I mean, okay, let's talk about you and I. We literally can go outside and touch well, a tree. So yeah, why I do mean, that? I, I can, but maybe I also can't because of time constraints, because I've been really busy with things lately, or maybe I can't actually go to China and experience mm. the Great Wall, or maybe I can't actually meet with my friend Forrest because he's on the other side of the country. Maybe I can't actually see my family. Mm. Maybe I can't experience this historical setting um, that I really connect with because it, nev- it it doesn't exist anymore. Or maybe it's a story or a place that I really relate to, but is totally imaginary. It's just there are things that you kind of like consciously want to connect with at some level, but you don't have to be physically handicapped in order to be limited uh, from the things that you desire to connect with or the connections that you desire to make. Yeah. Like we all have that as a deficiency. We all have a deficiency of connect or connectedness. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Go ahead. Well, well, I was going to say, I think that that's totally fair. And that's almost like the easy answer, which is like, of course, if you can't connect with somebody like, yeah, I'd love to connect with my sister Mm -hmm. in Spice Girl Tea Party coming soon. (laughs) Obviously in person. And I know Charlie's going to give me shit for this. (laughs) Hey, Charlie. We do need to talk about this. But like, yes, in person is almost always better like i i don't we should talk about the difference oh uh, god it's yeah. like so this is this is hard because i think all of these things can exist at once so let's say i don't know if this is a great example but i'm gonna go with it do you want to experience a story through a book or go out in the world and experience life 
Well, like both have a place in my heart. I love going and living a story, mm -hmm. but I also love experiencing that story through the lens of somebody else and having this fiction thing happen to me. Right. And they both have a place. Now, when we're talking about human connection, I do think that because there are so many because we read off of people's body language and all these nuanced, tiny things with their faces and, and what they're doing when they're talking, it's the easiest form of connection for somebody like me. But there's a lot of people who actually prefer being hidden a little bit and they yeah. feel like they can open up a little bit more that way. They, maybe they have social anxiety in some capacity. Right. And so be actually being face-to-face -face with people Right. is problematic because you're overwhelmed with the feeling of being vulnerable yeah. or something in that state. Yeah. And so it's uncomfortable for whatever set of reasons this environment where you have that veil feels more safe and secure and yeah. feels like you're more capable of connecting. Yeah. And now to give context, by the way. <clears throat> yeah. So you need to, uh, sorry. We need to like, my my friend Charlie, who I love, and he's a great fan of the show – was basically giving a shit for saying like we'd prefer in-person recordings when we're talking about VR all the time. Right. Now, and to be fair, like he was he was very nice about it and was totally understanding. <laughs> and that is a totally fair thing to to laugh at us for. But I mean, it's a VR podcast. And, yeah. And we're literally saying we're like we want to talk in person. Is, yeah. yeah. V VR is inferior in this right. capacity right now. Right, but I in some in some I think view. that everything has a place, and also VR will get better and better. Where things like avatars will be able to show those expressions, yeah, or it'll kind of stay like you know, cell phones. People seem I seem to be happy. I seem to almost prefer using emojis to mm -hmm. to state my emotions. I totally do. Yeah, <laughs> so so it could go either way. But well, there, there is, there's limits of the medium. Yeah. And I think that it depends on what you want to do. I tend to like when I'm getting to know someone, meeting with them in person, reading their body language. I talked about this in a different episode. I feel kind of like robbed of all of that, which yeah. is why I struggle with social VR. That being said, um, social VR will introduce me to people that I wouldn't otherwise meet. Or even with like we did a thing recently where we played half and half and we got to play hide and seek. Yeah. And it's like, oh, oh my God. Well, so I see the people I play that with, you know. We see, like, uh, all the time, and yet I don't get to play hide-and-seek as, like, a miniature person and, and a really giant, giant person yeah. in this game. Can't remember if we talked about this game before, but, like, we'll link it in the in the mm -hmm. show notes. But half it's an amazing, awesome. amazing game. So, okay, so basically the, you ha there's different there's different reasons to do to do one or the other and I think you can you can get a benefit out of any of them. But I think there's a useful exercise to go through here. Okay. Um so we should we should think about starting earlier on what is what are the limits um of what can be communicated through and in what ways through each medium as it's evolved over time. I mean, we started out with just there was nobody had thought to put something like to paint something to draw a thing so we were just talking which is the base way that humans have interacted right wait were there this is actually i don't know this mm. is a dumb question do you know for sure that questions. people used language before they used pictures um maybe we used some form of sign language before we had like verbal language i guess that's possible but 
we in some capacity whether it was auditory or it was visual with like hands and whatnot we had to be communicating with one another yeah and imagine i mean the common imagination of that is that we were like using grunts and stuff and that slowly formed into actual language yeah or or, or actual language or like i guess i'm thinking of cave art and right. so I'm like, okay, well, what was used like that versus trying to sign language versus actually trying to have a spoken language? Oh, that's an I've, that's an interesting question. Like, did did we have the ability to represent to like recreate something we saw via cave art before or after we developed language? Yeah. So, oh God, that I don't know. I'm trying to like very quickly yeah. look this go, up. I'm like, what came I don't, first? <laughs> that is, that's a really language. interesting question. Oh, of course, the first thing is language or thought. That's a whole um, language theory, which I love. Uh, okay. Which that's going to like get into like Noam Chomsky or Noam Chomsky and all right, that right, about no. just theory. We don't of, need to go there. Yeah. Okay. I think that's that's getting too deep into that right now. Uh, but that is an interesting question. Ooh, there's an article um, on Nat Geo that says ancient cave drawings and early human language linked in new study. So huh. we don't know, and we don't need to get into it, but yeah. let's move on without right. digging in there, and we'll we'll link some stuff in the show notes. So, okay, go on. But, so the earliest things that we can look at, though, are recorded of, like, an external representation. Maybe before cave art, maybe you could describe something having happened, or describe a, a, a scene to a person. So, like, let's just assume that that happened. And then you, maybe around the same time or in simultaneously, we started to develop ability. Say, like, we could describe that thing. I can also, like, draw it. I can take some clay and paint on this wall. I can represent it in two dimensions. And so that started to evolve. And we gained the ability to think about perspective in two dimensions. And then we went through all these different evolutions of refining our ability to paint and portray scenes, three-dimensional scenes, but in 2D. And then eventually we started writing books, so we refined language more where we could we could actually like write down a story over time. But it's probably that we always thought about things as stories, as a progression of events. So like what I want to get down to, the question that I want to ask you to um, is like what, what are the limits of a, a 2D representation mm-hmm. and what you can communicate there? And then what are the limits of... Uh, a book, a, a written sort of right. story, and then a movie mm-hmm. or like te- television, essentially, like a framed 2D mm-hmm. sort of story portrayed. And then we move to interactive mediums like video games and then like VR, where essentially at this point, the big difference is that the frame is gone. You're, mm-hmm. you, you are put into it. So like we can kind of set that aside. Let's start with uh, things like books or written language and then pictures, Mm -hmm. two-dimensional pictures that are limited somehow in their scope. Right. So I think books are all about describing. And literally, I mean, we know from literature how in-depth they would go about certain descriptions. Like uh, this, there was a table. That table was mahogany. There was a lock on it that, you know. The, right, the, just like painting a scene. Exactly. It's it's describing it so that it's guiding your imagination mm-hmm. into this world so you can escape into that world and know exactly what that person was trying to get across. Yeah. Like each of those words creates a concept and you kind of implant those concepts into a, a perceived space. Right. I think there world. was, 
it might be in an upcoming episode, but at some point we talk or talked about how some VR experiences will they'll show what images can look like as as you are imagining them. Mm-hmm. Meaning uh, the example that's used is something like on notes on blindness was an, which is an mm-hmm. experience it it it's showing what this blind person is imagining based on what they hear. Right. And so that's how I envision what books are doing for us. Yeah. It's describing something and then in great detail so that we can imagine it. Yeah. But we have a lot of space to fill in for ourselves. Everyone is Visually, imagining something a little yeah. bit different. In fact, it's always fascinating to talk with people <laughs> about something like how did they imagine uh, a, a character or a place looked in Harry Potter right. or what butterbeer tasted like. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and that's why it's so funny because I think that movies that are adaptations or mm-hmm. theme parks like Harry Potter World are trying to bring that all to life mm-hmm. in the way that was described in the book and what the author thinks and people are really attached to how they imagine those things. Yeah, and when it's different they get really upset. Yeah, which is why they a... hate adaptations. Yeah. But if it's very well described and everybody has the same idea of it, I think that links to some sort of greater success with something like a theme park because everyone's like, yes, this is yeah. exactly how I imagine. Or at least the the source material was communicated in enough detail that everyone converged on a similar perception. Right. And then there's thing, more abstract things like poems or other forms of written language that have people can perceive them in many different ways. Yeah. And, and maybe that they they're intentionally concepts yeah, written that way. It's the same way that songs are specifically written so that people can insert their own story mm-hmm. into that. So anyways, I think it's... Does it's, music evoke imagery for you? As Like, uh, it, it maybe if it... Think about first without lyrics. Imagery, I don't know. But I know that I insert my own stories. Well, I mean, if you're imagining a story, I would assume that you're imagining some sort of... Maybe not imagery, because you could be blind and and still experience some sort of series of events. But there are there are things. There's like a sequence of things that you kind of imagine in response to hearing. Yes, music. and actually, to to I, to your point, I I like thinking of what a music what music video I would create for some. <laughs> For some songs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's definitely imagery link. There's stories that I fill in. But mm. the point is, okay, so what does the written word do to us It or do for us? It describes something so we can imagine or it describes something enough. It creates some sort of structure mm-hmm. of feelings that we can insert ourselves into and perceive it one way or the other. And it creates emotion through that. Yeah. Okay. That's the written word. So let's talk about photos let's talk about a still photo image or painting where it's just one scene represented at a time a picture is worth a thousand words there you go (laughs) so i think that paintings have the same thing they can be abstract and you can fill in your own story or they can be very realistic photos obviously if it's like a photo basically means that it can it's supposed to be realistic uh but the point is like Photos can still evoke a bunch of ab- uh, when I say abstract, I mean like detached from what is actually presented there. Yeah, it's you can see exactly the image in front of you, and then your mind immediately adds a bunch of other right well thoughts, visions, concepts, things to it. Yeah, that's why in film there are certain people that 
go by the rule every scene a painting or mm-hmm. people who are respected for that reason mm-hmm. because that means that literally they take care of every single frame you see to make sure that that evokes a certain feeling the same way a painter or a photographer would decide back in the day when there wasn't like a ton of digital options and you right. had to do like, you know, one and done. You had to choose between Nikon and yeah. Canon or whatever. Then you really had to be specific about what you were trying to communicate and how you get that in one scene. Yeah. But that's, so that's visual. So the, what's the difference then between visual and what that gives us versus versus the written word? And I right now, the way I think about it is that it helps bring our imagination to life. So I love talking about Twilight. I'll use that as an example. That's well, an now we're getting into, mo- to, into moving picture, right. but let's just get into it. So Yeah, I, they're kind of synonymous. I mean, yeah. you, you add movement to an image when you see right. it. So I guess with something like Twilight, I read that book. And as with things like Hunger Games, Twilight, uh, Harry Potter – these end up becoming successful in movies, no mm-hmm. matter how bad they are, <laughs> because we all want to see our imagination come to life. We want to live through it again, and we want to see, like, I imagined Edward, and I want him to magically appear in my room. Now, we always get disappointed because it's not going to be <laughs> it's not exactly. exactly who yeah. it is, except, of course, I was never disappointed with Robert Pattinson, <laughs> just to be clear. But it brings that to life. And now the challenge goes back to that whole spectrum of what is the benefit of abstract versus real, mm-hmm. which is like we can insert ourselves. And as soon as we start seeing visual representations of something, I think it's harder to do that. It's harder to to abstract from it. Or yeah, because add. well, the reason there's like there's less there's less room for additive uh, visual imagination at least to the scene, right? So I think our imagination is at its maximum when, well, maybe when there aren't any words and it's just your imagination. But when there are yeah. words, it's guiding your imagination. And then when there's visuals, it's kind of just like, yep, this is what you should see. Yeah. So then your imagination might go into, well, I don't know I what, like I guess so... how much of your imagination is involved when you're watching a movie. It's kind of just like handing it to you. Yeah. I mean, like, what? where is there, I guess the question is, where is there room for interpretation in a movie? Right. It's not in what does the scene look like, which is usually where people go off the rails in different directions in books. Um, or even in things like a still image, you still, mm. maybe you imagine the movement differently. But it's a little bit more reined in when it's visually centered. So like a movie, the the room for interpretation then kind of gets abstracted up to, it bubbles up to relations maybe interactions between different entities in the movie whether that's the environment and a character or different characters and Mm. the dynamics between those different entities in the story i mean i think it might just have to do with that it takes less effort it's really easy to watch a movie it's like i don't have to put any effort in and i can escape into the world that's presented to me and it's a safe space for me to be a hero kick a villain's ass, explore a new world, 
it's just a safe space that I am super passive at. Like I literally – the reason people were scared of TV and kids watching TV is they think it's going to – it's obviously easier to do that than it is to read. Like it's known that reading is supposed to be better for your brain. Because you have to put more active effort into it. Yeah, you have to imagine it. You have to do the work to imagine that world that's being described. Right, you're actively constructing it. Okay, the 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 natural progression, though, from this point is, okay, well, that's just in a frame. So if we move forward to VR or video games, then there's even less imagination okay, involved so if let's we move follow to video that train games of logic. Because yeah, I've been thinking about this. So yeah. now... Up until this point, hmm, oh man. <laughs> We're digging ourselves into a really interesting hole. And I know. I, this is an enjoyable process to figure out. I, th- I think this is really useful because it's like a total devil's advocate of like, okay, well, if from that view, there is less imagination, mm-hmm. less active mental engagement. Meaning if you, if you want to look at it from like the Daniel Kahneman, like thinking fast and slow perspective, there is the fast thinking, which is literally just everything you do passively. You observe things happening when you use your slow brain. And again, this is just a model, but it's useful to some extent. Use the slow brain when somebody asks you a math question and you have to stop and think about it. Or somebody asks you to remember some specific thing and you're like, oh God, and you stop walking for a second. All these other automatic things stop and you have to think really hard. You have to do mental work athletics to try to recall this thing or try to imagine some situation that's the that's the the thinking process that for whatever reason we we think is is more educational or value valuable when kids are reading a book versus when they're watching tv mindlessly so thinking fast is the mindless one yeah. And thinking slow is trying to actively work through it. it. Sure. I don't know if this would actually be like you would actually want to align these concepts okay. from his official perspective, but I'm just going to use that analogy here okay. for passive, very automatic things that don't take much active brain power. That's like just passively watching TV. Mm. Whereas actively reading a book, I mean, that does become an automatic thing. Like if you've if you're practiced at reading a book, it doesn't take much effort to pick up a book and start reading it. That's a that's a part of your brain that you've exercised and you get used to it. Mm. Um, so, like after, <laughs> if you were to look at it that way, it's almost like the more you read books, the less useful it becomes to read books. If you want to say that the the active, engaged thinking process is what's valuable, so like that's almost a misnomer. Well, oh my god, <laughs> there's so much to unpack there. I mean, if you say that the more you practice a sport, the, the less, less useful it, it becomes. The less mental yeah. effort it takes. <laughs> right. I don't know. I don't even want to go there. So, well, okay, well, okay. Well, that's just, so a couple of things. Yeah. So one is, <laughs> as you were saying that, I was thinking some the active versus passive thing, some of that is directed or it, in other words, it's, it's intentional, which is a book is created to make you actively think pretty hard, like a Charles Dickens book, uh, a mystery or something like that. I don't – Versus – Well, so, okay. Versus sure. – uh, or a movie is harder to watch or to unpack versus a, a you know a superhero movie. So I think that there's some like within each thing, someone can first of all there's like the whoever created it wants it to fall under more active or passive, yeah. and then there's in the every human, one of those mediums, the human involved. 
some people really don't want to. I was just reading Beloved with a group of people, and some people really didn't want to put that active effort in. She writes, mm. uh, Toni Morrison, who wrote it, is writes in a form of poetry that is difficult. It's difficult to read, and you have to often reread stuff to think, did I understand what she was just saying? Yeah. And there were some things where we would end up talking about it, and I realized I missed it entirely, like big scenes where she wrote it in such a poetic way huh. that I genuinely didn't get what she was saying. <laughs> uh, and that went in all directions. Everyone mm-hmm. had different experiences with that. And some people really didn't like it because mm-hmm. – and, and I think that was because they were unable to get in an active reading mindset. Right. And I mean, it's just like listening or something. It's like actively listening versus passive. So, anyways, that's all uh, like choice the, as well. So, okay. So this, but this is a really good point to bring up. So, thank you for revisiting that. You this is another welcome. genuine thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Kelly. Um, this is why these are great conversations. So, like, it's it's an oversimplification essentially is the point there to say it's an oversimplification to say that reading is more mentally stimulating than watching a movie. Because you could watch a movie like uh, maybe Shutter Island, which was that that movie with Leonardo DiCaprio mm-hmm. where like you're trying to figure out what the hell was going on mm-hmm. the entire time and what was real and what wasn't. And like by the by the end of that, you're just like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, you you're it's not a relaxing experience. It's not something where you zoned out and just relied on your fast brain to just observe the story as it went is very much oh God, what the hell is going on right now? I don't understand. So you're thinking, you're actively engaging the slow brain. You're actively engaging that sort of like deliberate deliberate thinking the Mm -hmm. whole time. Whereas you could also watch a movie or read a book that is easy reading or an easy watch. Mm -hmm. You put very little effort into it. It's literally just kind of like background noise to to zone out. You don't want to think while you're doing this. There are books like that. Of course. There's also pictures or paintings that are just like easy to look at and be like, oh, it's beautiful. Uh, whatever. That's super. Yeah. Deep. That's really. It's like or like looking. <laughs> I don't want to disparage everybody that's ever gotten to a mental uh, rabbit hole of looking at cat p- pictures on the Internet. But like I've done it, too. And cat, it's cat cat pictures. OK. Like just like going down a meme rabbit hole where yeah. it's just like, oh, this is like straightforward i don't have to think about it everything's just kind of funny or everything's just ridiculously cute you're not thinking much while you're doing that and the point is not that that is inferior somehow it's just it's you are mentally checking out a little bit and just Mm -hmm. kind of going into the fast brain autopilot yeah in all of those mediums it's not that reading is more engaged by default than movies it's not that like m- that movies are somehow a superior or that reading was superior because there were there were easy and difficult parts of or or examples of that particular type of content in that medium no th- matter which yeah. one you're talking about. I agree and I disagree a little bit okay. which is which is that I still think the visual is easier than reading. There is something no matter if you're reading a children's book like the dragon eats tacos or whatever that one is <laughs> what i've never even honestly heard. children's book books fascinate me there's like a okay. whole book about just how the dragons love tacos huh i'm i'll figure out the name don't okay. worry you guys show notes, show notes i'll link it it's, it's a great one it's one of those children's books that you read and you're like i could write a children's book <laughs> <laughs> Like, there's nothing stopping me from doing this. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. Uh, So, okay, so reading that 
Uh, actually, children's books have images and words, so this is like a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's that's just an example of like right. It's usually, but yeah. I still think that there is something harder about that. It's like you have to. A lot of people read by saying the words out loud in their head, mm-hmm. and so so that's you're you're putting more effort in no matter what compared to have just sitting back and having images light shot into your eye. So your your argument is that objectively, on some like physical level in the way that we process information, visuals are easier to process than language, written language. I think I might be saying that, yeah. Okay. What if you're now, blind? No, I still agree. Okay, wait, hold on. I still <laughs> I still agree with what I said that you expanded on, which is that the level i don't think that one is active and one is passive i think they right. both have versions of each they're both on that same but yeah. i think that people are more likely to watch a movie than read a book because it's easy and people are more likely to go look at instagram and look at cat memes mm-hmm. because that's even easier than watching a movie that makes you think because of a story right it's so People like easy things. We all do. We, we're all mentally lazy. <laughs> we like literally. We are. We don't. We you don't. It's not pleasant to to have your your brain mentally for, yeah, engaged, right? Which is also why in the movies people like. Well, there's many reasons to this, but people love. There is an audience for the sequels and the and the <laughs> the the superhero movies. It's just or fucking easy to go in. And watch something like that versus yeah. to watch uh, Moonlight mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Yeah. So, and then and then yeah, there's a whole like you know studio side of that, which is that it's tried and true, and there's an IP they can rely on, and that's why those things are pumped out. But also yeah. there's an audience for them, so that that all ties together. But so I do think that there is an easier thing when it comes to to certain visuals. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we could pick that apart and there is like a lot of modern art that is certainly not easy. <laughs> so this actually leads me to Right, there's there's visual like there there's there was a trend and I, I'm not uh in touch with modern art enough to 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 make an educated statement on this outside of the fact that a lot of modern art became very simplistic Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. many regards, like literally framing a napkin on the wall. And you have to think really hard, like, why is that artistic? What the hell was the artist trying to communicate by putting a napkin in a picture frame? Right. What the hell is the point of that? But that's almost in itself the point, is that they wanted... uh, To fuck with you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but I cannot stand... (laughs) modern art i'm so sorry i just can't Uh, i remember seeing like a red dot and them being like this is world war ii and i'm like come on (laughs) just come on it's almost like you're you're they're literally giving you so little such a deficiency of uh, or a deficit of visual input visual information that it's literally it's almost all imagination just just generate yeah. uh, concepts and visualizations around <laughs> that initial tiny little triggered dot on the I'm canvas. Of so many things right now. One is there's <laughs> I started watching that show called Fleabag, which is a great show 
on Hulu, I think. And it's a British show. Uh, and bottom line, there's this scene where uh, there's this stepmom who the main character can't stand who's holding an art show. And she had one of her art pieces stolen by the main character because she can't stand her. And then she represents the the art piece that's – she's like, oh, I have a new piece and it's called Stolen Art Piece. And the stolen art piece was just like an empty uh, – <laughs> It was like, you know, I forget what those things are called, the little uh, pedestal. Yeah. And there was nothing on top of the pedestal. And she was calling that art piece stolen art, oh, which is just like empty space. Oh, that God. cracks me up. Also, it's so funny because I was just thinking of this today where in sophomore year of high school, I did a play that was called The Apple. Mm. And it, the concept of the play, it was brilliant. <laughs> and I, it, the concept of this play was that somebody was eating an apple in a museum and they placed the apple down on a pedestal or something right. and and it was partially bitten and right. then they forgot about it and uh, everyone comes in afterwards wondering what it's... the meaning of the apple is oh my god and that's what the whole play was about and i remember this uh, is totally pointless but i remember right. that the, i think the apple was green maybe and i said something like i remember that my line had something to do with like oh what if the apple was yellow and i was like speed up before the apple turns red and that got so many laughs oh god it was so stupid but i have no memory except for weird things like that right anyways okay so we, we i don't i don't think we we need to get into a debate over like what the meaning of art is in this episode perhaps we can no, do that but, a... okay but i do okay i do want to dive into one thing okay which is somebody recently was talking to me about the concept of okay what what do you consider good art and and this oh, and I know that I know that this is a whole thing but so I, I'll try to I'll try yeah. to it is subjective but uh, I'll try to like reel this all back in mm -hmm. but it was basically that he defined it as uh, something that really shocks you so he's the type of person that likes requiem for a dream right and so i like that makes him think right and i like well mm, i don't know i'm like <laughs> <laughs> requiem for a dream i'm sorry didn't really make me think made me want to stop watching it uh but making you think too much <laughs> yeah maybe because there's plenty of things that make me want to think that aren't just like so in my face well that maybe i I would I would still stand by it. it makes you think so much that it's like literally overwhelming. You're like, oh god, this is so foreign or so different from what my comfort zone. It's so far outside mm. my normal scope of of my normal psyche, the way that yeah. I look at the world, that it's just too uncomfortable and I'm gonna turn off because I don't wanna like this is just unpleasant. There's there's not enough value in it. Yeah. That is worth you going through that mental discomfort. I think to avoid just getting so off topic we can't come back right i'm going to say okay that's fine <laughs> and i'm gonna pick i'm gonna pick up one word you said there which was comfort which is what mm -hmm. this had to do with which he felt like uh i said i i typically define how much i like something by how much i want to re-experience it and re-examine right. it yeah and that doesn't mean like oh my god i loved watching uh some adam sandler movie a million times which by the way i didn't uh but <laughs> But, you know, people like so, yes, OK, that can be picked apart, too. The more I watch something that could be something stupid. Mm. There's plenty of things that I just I feel like I want to read that book again right away or play that game again right away. And I define things as how much I like them by that. And he said that so that's like, just yeah. soothing. That's not art. That's soothing. And so there was this whole yeah. concept there. Wow. So, that, OK. 
I I agree with one aspect of what he just said, which is that yes, there's very much like a comfort notion or a a relatableness of it was a pleasant experience for you because either you felt like you were a part of it or you connected with it or it was like it was relevant to you somehow and it felt right. And so you wanted to go through that again. So it was comfortable. It was soothing. But I don't agree that it's not art because of that. I know. That's how I feel. That that yeah, like that that's a that is he was saying it's not art because it was a it was a his subjective interpretation of for him art is not soothing art mm-hmm. is it makes you so uncomfortable that you have to think a ton about it. Right. It's not when things are comfortable. When things are comfortable that's not art to him. Right. So like <laughs> Well, Art is actually like your idea of what you yeah. – it's what you idealize, which – Right. Uh, maybe, maybe. So, I, I know. Okay, oh so how do we reel this back in? Which, so well, we I we're going feel towards like, video games, interactivity. I know. Okay, thank you. And also I feel like to to bring that back in and connect it, I feel like what, <laughs> all I'm doing is throwing stuff out there that will help us as we re-listen and try to like diagram it is mm-hmm. what are some other lenses or elements. And some of what we've been talking through is – well, what is active or passive? What is easy or not? Like what is comfortable and uncomfortable? Because that adds something to these experiences as well and what they give to us or not. I feel like it's really interesting that we are so like our our psyche, our, our, our sort of mental ability and just experience of the world is so flexible that one person is able to develop a an attachment to the idea of experiencing discomfort like psychological shock of of experiencing something like requiem for a dream and then somebody else is able to uh attach them their their ideal to a feeling of belonging and comfort in the environment and like a soothing experience and that the thing that the other person found as where they want to be is so drastically different and it's it, that's just insane that that we are that mentally psychologically flexible that yeah that's where like that subjectivity becomes infinitely broad <laughs> yeah and <laughs> you i can feel like learn anything there's to- also so many reasons for that uh not to dive into it too much but i feel like it could it's obviously based on things that are happening in somebody's life i often see that one of my sisters and my mom want more easy passive things but they're both mm-hmm. nurse practitioners and deal with shit day in day out like right. of course they would want something yeah they have one of the toughest jobs right they're looking for relief whereas somebody who who doesn't have that who's a bit more of an artist or a designer is looking for that challenge on a daily basis so okay so all right bringing it back so there's so many freaking (laughs) (laughs) who's with us yeah (laughs) still here if you're still here yeah (laughs) if you didn't get lost congratulations fractal tangential conversation whatever Video games so is like the next games. step in this yeah. process. Yeah. Now this you brings me to so would you define any of the mediums we've been talking about mm-hmm. as playing at all? Um I I feel like that term is kind of synonymous with a lot of how we look at the world because there you can almost describe like everything that we do in either that sort of play state or what was, oh God, what were the terms that Evie was using um, to describe play versus uh, non-play type experiences? Um, they're like they're like two mindsets. 
Mm, I don't remember yes. exactly. She had literally had a doctorate on this. Right, right. Um, this whole concept of play versus uh, focus. But um, play is the exploratory, like creative, open-ended. It's just you're poking around. You're exploring the space. You're trying to figure out. Or you're not trying to do anything, actually. You're just you're just exploring, wandering. It's creative. It's almost like it's not quite that sort of Zen state. It's just it's kind of free form. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the focused, the focused way of thinking where you have a goal in mind and you're being, you're, you're intentional about the things that you do. That's like the other state. Right. So it was paratelic. Paratelic and, and. Which is, uh, motivation. Just to revisit quickly. Real quick. Well, I know that we had a note about paratelic and, which is also known as, so there's this thing called reversal theory Mm -hmm. is a theory of personality motivation and, and emotion in the field of psychology yeah it focuses on the dynamic qualities of normal human experience to describe how a person regularly reverses between psychological states well, there's there's two though there's paratelic and then not paratelic what the hell is not paratelic was... the domains are telic and paratelic so telic, oh, telic is, is serious yeah and paratelic or playful yeah to refer to when one is to whether one is motivated by achievement and future goals, which is telic, or the enjoyment of the process in the moment, which is paratelic. Okay. To to clarify, okay, we 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 went over this with Evie many episodes ago. At this point, there was telic and paratelic. Telic is the more focused state. It's like kind of goal oriented. It's motivated towards a particular thing. It's like you're trying to you're trying to do something with intent, and then paratelic is the playful, exploratory, non. It's just like enjoy enjoyment of the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, paratelic or telic and paratelic. But your question was, are all of these things? My question play? was so far, excluding video games, because we're about to get there. Do no. you would you say that anything we've talked about? In terms of storytelling, written word, visual images, we could call all of these things representation. Motion pictures. Would you call any of those play? Would you say um, that our interaction with them has anything to do with play? No. Okay. And I wouldn't say that they're not play. What I mean is that they're not exclusive to telic or paratelic. They're not exclusive to play or focus. I think you could have, you could have a situation or. I think they would fall under the mindset of enjoyment rather than achieving a goal. Enjoying for enjoying sake, because that's I actually, maybe. I actually uh, feel I think it could be both. Actually, I actually yeah. feel like so. If you think of telic as um, as being like more, you have to mentally focus when you're when you're engaged to think more or use the slow brain, maybe. This is this. We are drawing so many assumptions here, and maybe there's like some official views on this in the field. But um, telic, my assumption is that telic or being more sort of goal and motivation oriented in mindset is more active. You have to like actively focus on something, and you have to have an intent and a goal um, or thing that you're trying to do. And so, if you're looking at a at a painting or reading a book that requires you to think a bunch in order to make any sort of conclusion about it, that is much, it becomes much more telic. Whereas if you're looking at something that's just very easy on the eyes or it's very, a very easy read or whatever, um, it could be potentially a telic sort of exploration. Maybe you're just kind of like, 
How could you? Maybe, maybe. I, yeah. I, I'm trying I to get, think of an example no, of like get, a, a I playful get space. Where you're going, well, a sandbox, I don't know, a playground. Yeah, but that we're getting out of the. So all of these things we've been talking about this far, the commonality is that we are taking something in the natural world and we are representing it. Yeah, it's a, I do think that it's a representation. I think we've crossed into entertainment by now, right? Remember totally. we had those c- categories. So totally. I feel like we never fully answered the experience thing, but connection. we're getting the connection. Well, I, I no, think we did. we did to some extent. Okay, we did. We just we started to it get morphed into, the into value entertainment prop. without us officially morphing into the entertainment category. Yeah, uh, and perhaps. It's all connected in some way. That was that was one of my concerns when you brought up those, particularly those two, is because um, connection, and you mentioned this way earlier as well as a disclaimer, connection, like entertainment in itself can be a, like you could describe entertainment as the satisfaction of feeling connected. Mm-hmm. With some sort of space. Or maybe you watch Game of Thrones because somehow you relate to and connect with that environment mm-hmm. and that world. And so it's entertaining to you. What we haven't tried to define, and maybe we don't need to fully define mm-hmm. this, is like, well, what is entertainment then? Is entertainment uh, a satisfaction or a fulfillment from feeling connected with a with a medium, a con- a piece, some sort of content? Yeah, well, I think it all... The reason it all relates, well, for all the reasons you said, but also what we had done is we went back in time to figure out, okay, to help us in this conversation, the constraints. What are each. the what are the benefits of each each phase of some some form of each medium medium, yeah. um, and then maybe we'll come back to some of those categories. Obviously, we're generally talking about entertainment, which is related to connection. Yeah. Okay. okay. So entertaining it. <laughs> entertainment muddies the waters there because it's actually on a separate uh, axis we were talking about yeah the constraints of each medium and and the different this has nothing to do with connection because we're not talking about i think i guess what i'm getting at is i feel like we've gotten off track but still on track in general meaning like we're in the category of entertainment but we've gotten off track from connection because connection is more like we would be talking about the history of social interaction and the history of personal interaction with things you, you can connect with anything Ugh. you can you can literally feel yeah so this is what i'm saying you got to separate it we're we've the whole point of us going through that exercise of like what was what is the benefits what are what are the limitations of like written word and what are the limitations of kind of like imagery mm. and the, and the space of what imagery accomplishes mm. Then we went into movies, right? Moving and well, then video games, but that is all yeah. of, entertainment can happen across all of those mediums. That's not actually useful to say that, yeah. like that, we can define entertainment separately. But we were trying to move towards video games. Right? Well, I, I hear you. Okay, mm. so let's. I will put a pin in this, but my okay. brain is struggling a little bit because because we went, in my opinion, off track from yeah. from the connection part. But let's come back to that Mm -hmm. and i think part of the reason we got into all of this is because we were talking about the imagination the power of the imagination the benefit and then we got into these different mediums yeah so let's come back to feel to at the end to see if we've made any conclusions about the connection part connection ability but right now i do genuinely feel like we are in the entertainment category more so than any other 
that is what movies, books, and video games are. And writing. And, yeah. Well, rep- all of it is entertainment. That's what I'm saying. It's not actually... If everything is entertainment... I don't know what we're arguing at this point. I, I'm I don't saying, think we are. I'm saying all of the things that we are talking about right now are in the entertainment category, not the connection category. I, I think... So my point here is actually that they're not actually different. Ugh, fine. All right. We'll come, <laughs> we'll come back to it. If you I'll stop being annoying. If you, no, it's not annoying. I, I'm, the way I'm looking at it is that actually, and this is only through our conversation right now that I'm looking at it this way, um, I'm starting to conclude that you, you can't actually, like, you wouldn't relate to inter- any sort of medium that is supposed to be entertaining unless you connected with it. So you actually have to have connection with a particular with some sort of content in order for it to be entertaining to you. Maybe. Hmm. But <laughs> we can come back to that. No, Maybe I think, can... I think, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. And that connection can be created through that experiencing that medium, the story or whatever it is through that medium. Mm-hmm. Meaning to have connection with something, sometimes people f- mean that by saying something already exists in you and you connect that with what's happening in that film you relate it to or something yeah but but i don't think you need to relate to it i think it's often the benefit of these things is escapism where you're living something that you don't typically live so that's where i might disagree with the escape with the connection thing but you know what let's stick on the track of the video games and the play and then we can return to this yeah okay a little bit more clarity okay any, it's anywhere where we disagree is a really interesting diversion and needs to be explored more. Well, okay, so so going back to the whole game, so the re- the thing I was getting at is mm. that games introduce play. So video games. So okay, games have oh, all oh, games oh, okay. have always been yes. around. Games yeah. games have been around for a very long time in different forms. It's agency. Hold on. So (laughs) it's not just about agency. I mean, games, games always have certain goals. Like if you think about sports, sports are games, or you think about board games or other forms or like checkers or something like that, or chess games have been around for a very long time. And Mm -hmm. video games are an extension of games. They are not an extension as much of, okay, wait, I'm going to pause. They are a total mix. Yeah. And, they this are is why a total it gets mix, complicated. but it does get complicated. But because they have the name game in them, and they mostly became popular yeah. for people solving puzzles or accomplishing a goal through them, mm. they are they feel like a bit more like the sibling of other games and the cousin of the more storytelling what, passive. What, okay. I, we need Experience. to sep- we need to separate some things here because there's like we need to unpack some things. This is like we're trying to describe this describe this duffel bag of of shit, <laughs> like clothing, whatever the hell is in there. Maybe there's like old shoes, gym clothes. There's a lunch. We have no idea what's inside, <laughs> and we're trying to call it things. And we need to unzip that thing, drag everything out, spread it out, and actually point at that shit and say like, okay, that's what that is. So there's a couple elements there. Games. Are they have they are all of the other things we already talked about? They are representation. 
with imagery or story described through verbal descriptions. No, hold, not hold, hold always. Hold if you talk about sports, hold, you're talking hold. about video games very specifically. Okay, okay that, is, that is true. Okay, so maybe let's go back more fundamentally. Game, but we are talking about video games. So, right, but it's uh, very important to understand what a game means okay. when we talk about video games. So, maybe we, we should stop for a second. Let's jump back and say, all right, there's been this whole sort of evolution of mediums through which we represent something. We represent uh, imagery. We represent a story. We we always associate stories with these sort of like progressions of events. And even if you're looking at a still painting, you imagine some sort of movement or a before and after of that painting, that imagery. Even if it's a napkin in a wall, you start to try to think, what the hell is the surrounding context, the purpose of that thing? Why is it there? Why am I so confused? Whatever it is, you like want there to be more. Games, as a totally separate entity from that evolution, there is, there's like, it's a, it's a, we call it play, right? It's there's an element of like you jump in there and there's like there's artificial constraint. There's rules. You're supposed to try to accomplish a thing. So there's a set of goals in place. And it it wasn't originally games were not about representing uh, a story. It was about putting you in some sort of competitive context. Right. Which we already in one way. We do live in a competitive context at the most fundamental level in that there's there's resources. Like, I need to get food. There's other people that need to get food. If there's not enough for both of us, we're going to have to play a game to figure out who wins and gets that food. So games are sort of like echoes in one perspective of that real world reality. <laughs> that real world reality. They're, real world they're, reality. <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> oh, my God. What's the difference so, between real world reality and base reality? <laughs> God damn. It. Okay, fine. <laughs> Games are echoes of natural real reality. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. That's in that's in one like limited scope. So they they take into account like the real competitive nature of surviving in reality when there are limited things and you have to compete. That's totally separate. We we could make a, a separation. They're connected from that. to that in some way because a lot of the times yeah. games have artificial rules and scarcity. Right. So okay. Uh, we, Games are very difficult to define. Like I'm kind of messing with you a bit there <laughs> because so actually Jesse Shell, who's pretty well known as for writing the art of game design and also has his own game production company. Okay. So has a whole chapter about how do you define a game and the art of game design. Right. And I suggest a lot of people read that. It's pretty fascinating. But the takeaway is that it's actually pretty fucking hard to define. And at some point, you might even get frustrated of like, what, why are we even doing this? Like, who even, mm. who even mm. cares? And how do definitions help us? But they help us in creating a language, right? Yeah. So the takeaway from that is that it's not easy and sitting here right now uh honestly i feel like it would be best to like go through that chapter everyone as like home, <laughs> let's all read this as together homework to yeah. to try to define what a game means it's not an easy feat but i do think that there is an obvious difference between games and this other 
representation. Sure, we'll call it representation. Now, it's also known that the game industry gets really frustrated by people trying to make games into stories or like it's it's literally like a, a comedy for some people when they try to have like okay, there's the the category for who wins best narrative game. Yeah. So, there's a big historical struggle here between what is the benefit of a game, where do stories fit into that? And what what is play? Where does stories and representation fit into, quote unquote, play or games? How about the example of something like chess? Mm-hmm. It's very easy to look at that and imagine a battlefield and a bunch of entities. And it's very easy to imagine parallels of that to real battles that had happened in the past or may have so in this i think this is why it's actually hard if you try to completely isolate games from uh representation as like stories because games in themselves kind of have a bit of a story arc to them Mm -hmm. at a fundamental level so they're not I don't know that you can actually separate them from representation. It's like it's not so much that a game is about the visual. It's actually about uh, representing the the dynamics between entities in mm-hmm. a situation. So it's a it's a non visual representation, and in that way, it's almost non visual art. Mm. I love what you're saying about the whole story thing, and a few things come to mind. So if you okay. think about sports. Mm-hmm. Well, sports and competition, people like that just mm-hmm. at, at face value. But when you add something like the story of the underdog or the story of a player who had a rough background or upbringing who made his way or her way to get to a certain point and master their sport, yeah. people love the story that mm-hmm. surrounds a sport team or that surrounds a certain competition. Mm-hmm. And or like a that uh, Olympian who fell and and broke her ankle as she landed in yeah. gymnastics and stood back up. I mean, people uh, related. I know that people loved with the people who made Mist. They loved the mm-hmm. story of the creators that they were brothers and that they were working together and that the story represented brothers yeah. going through this adventure together. So okay, this is so. At the fundamental level, I actually don't – now that we're talking through this, I don't think we should try to totally isolate uh, game mechanics, which are really sort of uh, representations of real-world mechanics um, in a simplified concept um, or, or in simplified set of rules and environment. Um, just like art does not – or sorry, not art – just like a visual, like a painting or a book, does not actually reflect the reality of that story in its full detail. It is a simplification of it. It's an abstraction. It's you can't even a photograph, like a a, a life like photograph taken by a camera, is not the full picture. It's just a small frame of that picture. And you get close enough and you're like, oh, there's details that you can't actually see here. I can't actually move closer to the things. I can't see what's outside of the frame. It's always a representation of that reality in some more digestible context. So games are like a simplification of the real complexity of competition or interplay between entities, things. So when we get – when we move from like movies to 
video games in the modern era. It's like the the real crux there is almost starting to feel like it's the observer getting to take part in that game again. But there is a much more rich uh, visual or auditory uh, supplement there, a, a much more rich representation than you would get from something like chess, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, or playing Go or even playing baseball or something like that, like a modern game, a competitive game. A video game still takes all of those same elements, but it, it viscerally combines both. It c- takes in those game mechanics and it takes in all of the representation from from visuals and description and storytelling in that other tradition and combines them into one. And then you've got these extremely muddy waters of well, what does anything mean in that space? Because the observer has the, has the ability to do things. They have I, – I think the difference is that they still have agency. I, I feel like that is a key difference at that transition point. Well, right. I mean to me that's – so the agency is a bit obvious, right? So this is the first time I, all of this is coming back to. This is the first time I believe we're introducing play into mm. the ca- uh, into the the thing the mediums we are talking about because we weren't talking about games. We were talking about written word, right? Various forms of storytelling, representation through art, then movies, and up until video games, we were not talking about games or play. Yeah, games have their own situation going on in video games have this weird mix of both Mm -hmm. and what you're talking about with okay what does it do what do video games do for you versus chess is actually really interesting because i think that is very much a parallel to what is vr in many ways doing for us versus a real life experience Mm. and i think it does have to do with something like okay yes it's visceral or it's it's bringing it's putting it's bringing something to life in some way but like what is that really doing for you is it the it's the dynamic nature of the world that you were that you were observing so if it, if you're watching a movie it's very visceral there are gameplay elements and everything involved in that story because there's different entities interacting and all of these struggles and whatnot but you can imagine and fill in details in that world all you want, but it doesn't affect the external representation, the external medium that you are observing. As soon as you enter, as soon as you add in the ability to interact with that world in a video game, then suddenly your your real-time actions affect the world that you are perceiving. And it, you enter a feedback loop that yeah, so, it was not there before. Okay, so I get that, but that actually wasn't my question. I no. wasn't saying compare it to movies. I was saying compare it to other games. So, so yes, it's clear mm. that you get more agency and control in video games when you literally have none in in most movies. Like, let's ignore the new, like, books you know, any, any choose your own there. adventure books and, and shows that happen to exist here and there. Right. But when you compare video games to other games... What does it give you? Why do you like video games versus sports or something like that? I, f- I feel like comparing a video game to a sport, it's like if you were to compare um, a book to a movie versus a baseball game to a video game where you are. You're, you're engaging in a medium that has more like visceral input as far as how it's representing the world. 
So you have to imagine less of that actively, at least from that visual perspective. Mm. Whereas like a book, you're you're reading through the story. There's still all of those different dynamics and gameplay sort of elements of the characters in it. And then you move to a movie and all those story interactions and dynamics and gameplay among the characters still exist. There's just there's added uh, visual richness in their representation. Is that... I get what you're saying. I'm pressing because just saying that you're adding visual richness doesn't seem to really do it for me. Okay. So because I'm, again, projecting into the future and to us, all of this leading to what is the benefit of VR. And if we just say there's a lot of visual richness, it's like, mm, does that really sell it? And I'm just trying to really understand in detail. Yeah, like what it, I, I know. What so it, what is well, the, what's what is interesting the... about what you just said is mm. that it made me think back on what I did say the difference was between books and movies. And I said mm. one is that uh, movies are easier. Are video games easier than, let's say, sports, for example? Uh, you could also use other games. And I think... Well, when you start to get talk about physical stuff, that's a totally different. It feels side different, of, but nevertheless, yeah. I feel like uh, some people would be like, oh, "Obviously, sports are hard. You have to actually train and do all this stuff." But like, what do you think? Why do you think people are making millions of dollars playing esports or other versions of or that famous video game? It's a it's a, def- a different side of physicality. Yeah, it's a totally different. So it all takes practice. It all takes strategy. It, in many ways, they're all the same. So really, is it easier? Probably not. So maybe that would force me to look back on my whole. If it's if you're likening it to the difference between books and films, maybe I'm wrong about the whole easy thing. Yeah, I, so, I, I feel like saying that one is easier is not is the right over. description. Yeah. But okay, so think about it as like maybe related to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If one thing is taken care of, what does it do for the next thing? So if your effort in reading a book is to visualize it, then you can't focus on something else. All of your capacity is taken up to visualize or imagine. But if that visualization is filled, then what's next? Then maybe you're thinking, maybe it enables you to escape faster. And what does escaping faster do? Well, if you escape, escape into the world faster, maybe you can have an emotional reaction faster, which is actually very true because movies are shorter than books. Books take mm-hmm. a really long time to get through you to immerse yourself. Of... And then you come away with a lot of the same things you come away with when you watch a good movie or, or you know, along those lines. So maybe yeah. it has something to do with that. So maybe with video games, it's different from other games in that you're not doing that. Like you had brought up the example of chess or there's certain you probably are adding some story where you have like the knights and the queens or you're you're adding something to that already and maybe what video games do are they they enhance all that they give you this ability of like okay you can do have all those challenges that more I'll call it simpler without that's not the right word but you know a more um uh uh, reduced games do without the visuals and all of that, but it's adding, it's enabling you to just have more mechanical story. Games, yeah. So you're adding more story and visuals around that game. But what is that? What does that really do for you? What does enriching, what, why do you like enriching visuals? Like, why do I like playing 
uh, a Skyrim type game more than playing something like chess? Yeah. Or why do I do it more often? Yeah. Um, or let's, let's, let's take Minecraft because it's more, it's more. Because we just obvi- love talking about yeah, Minecraft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All- I was excited to talk about Skyrim Okay, for fine. Once. We'll talk about Skyrim then. Uh, it's the no, same. No, you can do same. Minecraft if it's going to help, help your point. E- well, I, not for the, it's, it's actually not much different. Um, with, with chess. I am not imagining, I'm not even remotely imagining some grand narrative around all of my different pieces moving through that field as they are going against the other player, the other army. Um, because you're you're very much focused on the low level of just what are what are their next moves? Like what are they trying to plan? You are focused on like an imaginary narrative of what is this other entity this other person thinking what are what is their sort of strategy how are they going to try to take advantage of me um and maybe they are going to try to like catch my my king or whatever over here because they're starting to move all these different pieces but if i if you abstract up to the point of all right take care of imagining all of that and put me into skyrim uh, which is this sort of like RPG, this very rich world and environment. And I don't have to, at that point, I am then given a very visceral representation of a world and there's all these different entities there. And it it allows you to then worry about things that are not necessarily just strategic. I mean, it's not even that you're, you're still worrying about strategic things. You're still you're you're just worried at a different level. You your your scale of focus changes rather than looking at this game board and looking at wooden figures and trying to figure out where they're going to move. You're thinking about what is uh what are what is the this particular opposing uh, faction on the other side of the map planning to do or like where might bandits plan to. Uh, jump out from uh, on this road as mm-hmm. I'm wandering between these do- two different points. And I know that this person I talked to before up in the mountains gave me these goals to wander to the other side and and meet with this mages college in the far north. So I need to get there and there's all these different pieces at play and and potential dangerous elements or things that could come into that equation and affect my ability to do what I'm mm. trying to do. Or... I'm more in a telic state or sorry, a paratelic state where I'm literally just kind of this place is so beautiful. I'm just wandering around. Mm. I feel like I'm just I'm just wandering nature. I feel a part of this world that feels living around me and I'm not goal oriented right now. I'm not trying to accomplish something. I'm just exploring. Mm. I'm in a telic mood. Can you get into a telic mood in chess? Of course. I mean, well, the whole idea of telic is that you're trying to accomplish a goal. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Maybe, sorry. Paratelic. Can you get into a paratelic state of mind in chess? Where you're just enjoying the experience? Maybe if you're really good at it. I don't know. That's a good question. And I don't feel like I have a good answer. I, I feel like it's a lot more, like you have to automate so many you would have to have such a higher level of automation of the activity of playing chess that you're just not worried about specific intent. 
as you're playing chess. Hmm. You're just kind of moving in reaction to things through like patterns that you've learned over time and you're not even, you don't even have to think about it. So like maybe conceivably somebody could do that. Maybe I do that while I'm cooking sometimes. Hmm. I'm just like, I'm just grabbing things and I know kind of what works and I don't even have to think about it. And it's it's like a therapeutic sort of activity. Hmm. But, and that, so that becomes kind of a, a telic or a paratelic activity. But for some people, it's very, it takes a lot of mental work to think about what they're going to throw into a pot mm. and like, oh God, what if all these things don't work together? Because they're, they don't necessarily, they haven't automated those tasks in mm-hmm. their mind yet. Um, it's all in the, the eye of the beholder in some ways is what you're saying. It, it's, it's in the, the types of activities in that space that you have, that you have abstracted away that your brain has learned how to do without thinking. Mm-hmm. So in an environment like Skyrim or in Minecraft or something like that, a, a video game versus just a simplistic game, a more simplistic mechanical game, you're focused very much on the mechanics of it. And for most people, that takes your entire focus. Mm. Whereas in an environment like like a Skyrim where it's this open-ended world, there are periods of time in that perceived world where you are you transition from a play mode to a very focused and goal-oriented mode and back to a play mode. And you don't necessarily need goals in that space. Uh, and then and then other times you do. It's like it it almost what it's doing is introducing the sort of fluid complexity of an actual world outside of the constraints of a game. Mm. It's almost like video games like that actually lose. They they are containers for sub-games. Mm. They contain many sub-games inside of that world, but it actually is in itself a representation of not just a space, like a painting, mm-hmm. um, but it also fills in temporary dynamics of like here's a bunch of different entities that are interacting Hmm. here are different dynamics going on and then maybe for a little while you actually wander away from that and you're just back in this uh wandering state where there's not really any particular goal and you're just kind of exploring so it 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 broadens out the scope it's a representation that doesn't just stick with uh with a narrow focus on mechanics like maybe a card game or something does or chess um, and it doesn't only focus on the visual representation of a painting um, or or the sort of story description of the interplay of different characters and a setting of a book. But you're not just imagining that space and describing it to yourself by reading it. You're literally you put yourself in there and then you get to you get to actually like poke and change things in that world and like affect it Mm -hmm. just like you do in real world or in real life it's like those types of games once they hit the point of a visceral video game become a reflection of a whole rich world some of the things i'm hearing Uh are it removes barriers to escapism it opens up room for complexity it increases the complexity it it, op- it it increases, right, but I'm saying it opens up room in our minds to deal with more complexity. So it, in- yeah. well, more advanced games do this, like the better it gets, the more at, so the more realistic games became or the more uh, 
driven they are by interesting narrative versus like some of the more simple games when they first mm-hmm. came, video games I mean when they first came out it uh incre- it, it includes more and more complexity or increases complexity because we're able to handle those things yeah and that has something to do with it's making something easier on us like the God. visuals and okay so I'm again i'm just i know i'm oh, working through this yeah. at, uh, in real time as we're talking Same. but so so where was the threshold that we crossed from feeling like the previous mediums were simpler to just a reflection of reality of like the full complexity of reality meaning that there are mechanical dynamics there is mm-hmm. like game theory involved and there's representation Mm-hmm. and you are a part of all of that. You're like right. muddied right in the middle of it and affecting it all and changing everything. Where did we cross the threshold from um, from representing reality to actually stepping into it? Well, it sounds like we crossed it when we talked about video games. Yeah, so I, that's that's why I feel like it's it's when you give the observer the ability to directly take a part, like... Not in their imagination. You get, you place the central observer, the self, into that experience, and they then get to be part of the world, not just imagining themselves as part of the world. They then don't have to worry about imagining what if I was in that world. They have to imagine what are my actions potentially doing to this world? What are the things in this world interpreting my actions as, and how will it affect them? And all of a sudden, you're kind of like layered into that's that's when like all of a sudden, yes, the escapism aspect comes in. You keep saying that because it is kind of like it you 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 are now layering a simulated world right. on top of the one you already know. So I think something that all of these all of these ex- uh, mediums we're talking about right now are safe spaces for us to explore and to escape in some way. Now, escape is a tough word because I think we associate that with like pleasure. But I'm using it for lack of a better word right now because I think that it means to, I'll I'll use maybe instead to experience something outside of what is our normal. And so, or to connect with some truth. So I think there are, I feel like I have a million different like quotes that I want to read right now, but, but let's just say, so, so they're all safe places because they're Mm -hmm. not the real world where we can live a life through somebody else's eyes. Sometimes that is very different from our own. And sometimes it's actually feels extremely close to home. So either we connect with it because it's close to home or we ca- we connect with it because it gives us a view or a pers- perspective on the world where we get to be James Bond and uh, we don't get to be that person in real life. But it's a safe space to actually explore what it's like to be that person or for things to reflect a certain truth back to us mm-hmm. that we kind of already know based on our own lives. But it feels like solidarity that somebody else has gone through it as well. Yeah. So what – what games do in that safe space is they allow us to try to have control or give us uh, a place. And I'm not just talking video games. So mm-hmm. they give us a place where we have very clear goals most of the time. I mean, obviously some games are a bit loose about that or they let us explore more, yeah. but a lot of games give us clear goals, give us a clear, like who wins, who loses. 
they give us a, an understanding of the rules mm -hmm. and we like rules and controlled environments and a feeling of control and agency where we yeah. can then control an outcome where we win even in games like like skyrim where it's a whole simulated world it is still there are so many elements built into that that simplify the the uh, difficulty of understanding in real life yeah because you can you take a quest or something and you go and do that thing and then you accomplish it, you bring back whatever you gained from that, and you've accomplished something. Or there's a storyline, there's like a central theme that you go through, and you manage to affect the world, and you can see that happening in some visceral way. Whereas reality is not always that satisfying in so many, so many regards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that I had talked before about those three things. It was some someone had written that there's psychological needs, one is autonomy, one is... Mm -hmm. relatedness or however he framed connection it. maybe uh, they maybe they said it differently but. right and one was control or agency in life right. like to know that that what you do matters yeah and that you, well yeah and that you can affect something and so i think that movies and books they don't give us any control they don't give us agency we know this for the most part but they do give us connection where we can feel like related to the people going, uh, you know, going through whatever they're going through, mm -hmm. and maybe some form, maybe it relates to that whole autonomy thing where we feel almost some freedom in that quote unquote escape where we can like go be something without the actual repercussions of being that thing, mm -hmm. and uh, or go see what it's like, to, you know, to 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 see something we don't normally get to see like uh, experience world war two when we didn't right. really experience it and uh, in a safe way. And so what games do is they add that layer of, or video games at least adds that layer of, okay, so in that same safe space where I can escape into this world and I can live vicariously or I can connect with this thing. Also, I'm going to add even more where I can control it in a safe space and there's clear rules and I can win or lose and I always know that there's a way to win, which is one of the benefits of games. Like you you almost never have a game where it's like you just there's I'm sure one exists, but it's like you don't like you lose, but you know there's a way to win, which is something we don't get in real life. We don't have that feeling. We feel like we're winning or losing and there's nothing reassuring us that we can always win where games give us that control i don't i mean i i want to agree with a lot of that but then I'll, i'm also thinking about a lot of that is very subjective a lot of people i'm pretty sure go through life feeling like they're constantly losing and like there isn't a way to win isn't that what i just said i was saying that people well, go through life thinking that's why they like uh, games because you know that you can win I don't I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I mean, I like games and I don't actually feel like I don't think those two need to be tied together is what I'm saying. I don't feel like there's no way to win at life. Um, winning is a is a to me is a temporary contained situation that you come out on top of. And then after that, there you're confronted with whatever the next situation is. And like the previous win doesn't actually matter at that point anymore. It's it's contained. Um and so I view regular life like that. I don't, games don't actually mean much to me on that because of that regard. They're not different in that regard. 
Um, so I don't, I don't know that that association necessarily hmm. distinguishes. Do you prefer games over movies? Um, yes, kind of. Why? Because movies feel more passive and I like playing a part. Why do you like playing a part? Uh, I don't, I don't, movies are not, I don't want to say games are superior to movies. They're, they are, they are different because specifically because I, I don't have any effect on the storyline. Me, Jay, I can, I can temporarily project myself into the, the environment and observe these characters and whatnot. I maybe I can even go to the length of, I feel like this happens more often when I read a book, but you can go through the length of, of watching a movie and feeling like you are one of those characters because you empathize with them so strongly. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much I think about it. The storyline of that movie doesn't change. I can, mm-hmm. I can subjectively well, interpret it. It's somebody else trying to tell you something. It's framed. It's on rails for like, you know, what happens in there. You can, you can observe it again and interpret it differently, but that's, mm-hmm. it's kind of the limit of the flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. That's like, that's the control that, 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 artists like in mediums like movies or mm-hmm. or a painting where and obviously that only goes as far as you can establish the information there and then people subjectively interpret it however they want but mm-hmm. there's a limit um whereas in in games there's like a stark reality that you can set up the environment that you put somebody into but then people are going to do whatever the hell they want in that space within the constraints of like the physics there that can be Tetris, literally. Like somebody can figure out a way to to uh, to to basically game Tetris and play it in a way that would seem like cheating and seem frustrating as hell to the person that actually built it. You could also do that in something like Skyrim, where you do something that the original creators never intended someone to be able to do in that space. But it's almost like saying. Uh, God never intended humans to do half the things that they do in the world, but we have the ability to just come up with these all these crazy constri- contrived things, like like eating gasoline or whatever. I like it literally anything that it seems like it would be ridiculous within that context. The the bounds of what is reasonable there kind of break down because of how freeform it is. Hmm. So, like, the representation in that environment, in that space, really gets boiled down to what is the the setting that you put in place, and then what are the limits of that that entity, that character, the person to go in there and actually affect the environment and change it. Minecraft is so interesting there because you can literally just everything, everything can be changed, rebuilt, yeah. reconfigured. It's, this is so fascinating to me because I feel like that's why I don't like Minecraft. I'm like, oh my God. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. There's too many options. I don't know what the point what is. about real life? I just want something to be handed to me that I can, I don't know, like I prefer movies to games. So I'm the other I think side you, of that. It sounds like you look at it as a totally different thing. Like it, it you don't. If you're, it sounds like you have one particular thing that you get out of movies, and that's not what you get out of games, which I don't blame you for. I don't think they're the same. Well, just to think this through yeah. out loud. Yeah. So there's, uh, so 
as you were saying that, I'm thinking about how video games, if we talk about some other lens and the million lenses we're looking at, there's like effort. Mm-hmm. And I think video games have the most effort so far of things we've talked about, more so than reading. So like it would be like the highest is games or including video games than reading or there's probably that's a tough one and then movies. we're talking about agency the agency is the effort i think mm, or are you talking about the like, imagination like, of the environment when i talk about effort i'm like how hard is it to how do i say this what there's something passive and easy about throwing on a movie right when I open up a book, my brain turns into a certain mode that's more active. When I play a game, it's even more because it's not that I'm just like reading something. Like I can kind of choose in some ways with a book how active I want to be or not. Right. And I'm letting it all wash over me. Some books are harder than others. But with a game, it's like it's like I'm all set up. I mean, if you watch videos of people playing, this is what would tell you. <laughs> what does somebody's face look like? Uh-huh. when they are playing a video game, reading or watching a movie. And I swear, playing video games is like the obvious, like people's faces look like they are in pain half the time. Or like they're <laughs> laugh- like they're going through a lot and yeah. they are very focused and there's actual proof of this. I think this woman did this who, uh, or at least she talked about this. We can link it, but there was this talk about how games move us. Um, I'm blanking on the woman's name, but she also wrote a book about this. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's pretty fascinating and in her talk, she shows some other study about somebody videotaping people playing games and their faces just mm. look like crazy. Yeah. And just by that, it's like you could argue that video games take more effort or they're more involved just by how our faces look when we're playing them. I, I feel like it's probably an oversimplification because I would I would immediately want to know what kind of games were they playing in that research? Were they playing something that took a lot of focus? Because it does not take a lot of focus to wander around an open world video game. And it, it's almost like it's not fair to call Minecraft and Tetris video games. What? One of the, because one of them, I mean, you, you have agency in both, meaning you are directly deciding where does that block go? Cool. Where does that block go? And then in Minecraft, you're also, <laughs> funnily enough, you're also working with blocks because the whole world's made out of blocks. Mm-hmm. But it's, they're... It's like it's so much more free form and you can do anything. You can literally you can not focus. Half the time what I do in Minecraft when I play that is just wander. I'm like, ah, wow, it's so pretty. That look at that giant valley and like, oh my gosh, there's crazy mountains over there and hmm. whoa, look at that cave. Holy shit, this is amazing. Or other times I am very focused because I'm trying not to die by being eaten by skeletons or like I'm trying to very carefully place some blocks to yeah. build a mansion. Even your de- the way you described exploration sounds like way more effort to me than watching a movie. And here's why. You're already deciding which direction you're going to walk in and like observing things in each area and deciding a feeling about it rather than being presented with just like a shot of what you're supposed to be looking at. What do you mean what you're supposed What do you do? What do you do That's in real I'm, life? No, I'm saying I'm talking I'm not talking about real life. I'm talking but, about the difference between movies and games. That's what I'm That's what I'm saying is like do you in real life yes it's literally harder to walk around and explore and look at caves than it is to watch a movie and sit on my couch eating popcorn drinking wine with (laughs) pictures presented to me okay yes okay that yeah okay so basically what we've determined is that i'm lazy as fuck (laughs) no and i prefer movies to games well i just to real life (laughs) no Uh, okay 
Yes. They I, all have a place in my heart. Totally. Um, I, I don't want to say one is superior, inferior, whatever. But the difference there is that like in real life or in a game, there is you're literally you have to decide at some point I look that way. I'm going to look that way. What am I going to do? I'm going to mm-hmm. focus on that block. I'm going to focus on that block. Cool. Movies or even books, you don't you don't decide in a book that you're going to describe that other mountain range over there or mm-hmm. that you're going to describe the character doing yeah. a different thing. You're still on rails. Yeah, you have to uh, viscerally produce more imagery mm-hmm. and environment in your mind, but you're still on mm-hmm. a you're still on a a track of someone else's mm-hmm. agency. They decided what the focal point was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the. Difference. I love where you're going with that. I think the word decision yeah. is one that is important and i often hear about agency that's what i mean we talk about control right and it's it's true but for some reason the word decision seems to resonate with me a bit because agency means that you have a certain control but the next step is what do you do with that you have to make decisions that's really what it's all about that you get the opportunity to make decisions that have an impact. Agency just enables that. And so it sounds to me like what you like about games is the ability to make decisions and impact things, which is like an obvious, I feel like, okay, fine. What I still don't get is why you like that. Why do you (laughs) like making decisions? Uh, I think it's not that I like making decisions. It's, It's that I don't. And this is very much subjective to me. I don't like not making decisions. Losing... <laughs> you know, I, I I don't like being constrained from making decisions. I don't like not having the option. Like mm. I I would despise. I don't like being on rails as much. But why? <laughs> why? God. Uh, I I don't know. That I mean that 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 is a. I feel like this is a totally. I mean, a worthwhile conversation that maybe for another night, but like, let's put a pin in this. Okay. Let's put a pin we in this for later. We can think about it. Okay. The, so, the basically, like, what is appealing? Like, why do some people really enjoy having more, uh, more direction or like n- lack of, or not needing to like mm-hmm. make those decisions at every point? And then other people like far less structure. Mm-hmm. more chaos. I don't know what you want to call that. It's like it's 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 like a preference of order versus chaos in mm-hmm. your in your regular environment. Right. Okay, fine. And bringing it back, I feel like all of this is leading to us trying to figure out how we talk about the value of XR. Yeah. And in talking about entertainment, well the idea is that it all relates to if we can't even figure out how to talk about why what is the value proposition of books versus movies versus games, mm-hmm. of course it's hard to talk about what is the value proposition of VR and we just get stuck in the cycle of being like it's more it's immersive. Empathy, it's connection. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's like user words. Uh I <laughs> I think that is a hard battle to to slog through to get yeah, to that point though. Right. So. But so I do think that while we haven't quite solved or really been able to figure out the best words to dig into more of that the game and the play and the benefits of decision making and agency versus what 
more passive experiences or prescriptive prescriptive experiences can do. I do personally believe that VR and AR, XR in general, is meant for both. Totally. There are a lot of people who don't think that. They think that it is, if you aren't using that, it, they basically say that the the huge differentiator for VR is that you can, it's like that it's taking that video game a first person perspective agency and amplifying that because you have three, getting rid of the 360 screen. perspective. It's, yeah. It, in it removes even more barriers to having that experience. So I get that. I totally get that perspective and that, I do agree that there is something about when it re- when it removes barriers to our imagination. There are things we can do in VR that we can't do anywhere else. I talked about this in the episode with Jude when I talked about that experience where you can fly up in the air and hang out with famous people in that uh, flight one. I linked it in last mm-hmm. time, last one's show notes if anyone's curious. So... And that's the same with video games. You can literally do things. You can fly. You can do things that you can't do. And the same with movies. Like all of this is really about imagination and doing things that aren't – that either you can't do in real life or it's some sort of resonating like telling you a truth that you already know where you're connecting with something that, you know, through the lens of somebody else. I almost feel like – we might be drawing an artificial distinction between a video game and a interactive uh, VR experience. I say that because the way that I've been thinking about it this whole time is that there are frames. Like there's, there's frames in video games. There's frames in movies. Uh, books are contained within that book and then you imagine it. But when you imagine the story in a book or you imagine the setting in a painting, you take that representation and then you internalize it and the borders are gone Mm -hmm. you associate it with all these other things that are not contained within a painting frame they're not contained within a book physical form they're not contained within the movie screen it's all this other context and outside of the frame information that you then glom onto the idea that's in the frame yeah the frame is just kind of like in it inspires all of that other stuff So, like, it's the difference between, like, a video game and a movie on that track or, like, books and whatnot is that one is on rails, um, one is prescribed experience, and the other one is open-ended experience where agency comes into play. It's not actually that video games in a frame are different from – are so different from VR because you lose the frame. It's only that it becomes easier to forget the frame. Right, but in so, VR, yeah. So why is that beneficial? What do you mean? Why? That's why. Very... Why does losing the frame do anything for us? What is? What does it do? Getting rid of the frame makes it easier to suspend disbelief. In one way of looking at this, it makes it. It's very hard for some people to look at an open-ended experience where you have agency, and you jump into that world like uh has happened with many people in like Skyrim and Minecraft they're experiencing that in a screen right but they can think back to lots of different experiences and they don't remember a screen they remember actually being there 
in that place and doing things. It's not that it happened in a monitor. You can do that in VR too, but it's much easier to forget about the the artificial aspects of that experience because it's it's more visually encompassing. It takes over your entire field of view. There is no frame anymore. So it's easier to suspend disbelief. Now, we we talked about this earlier. I wanted to bring this up and, and it now makes sense. D&D, role-playing games, there is literally no screen. There is It's all imagination. There's no book to look at. There's just a person describing things to you. So it's actually more similar to a book, but is literally just let me describe the scene to you. Here's where you're at. What do you do? Here's your agency. Here are your rails. This is where you found yourself. This is the environment. And then here, make some decisions. Think about how you want to affect your environment. And when you look back on that experience, if you if you really got into it and you accepted that this was the world where you were at, you remember those experiences that were completely described. It's a bunch of you sitting in the middle of a living room. There was nothing actually happening. But all of you have this shared memory of this activity where you were deep underground in some crazy cavern and all of this stuff was happening. And you can all talk back to that point like it actually happened. There's this shared memory that took place between all of you. And none of it was actually viscerally there, but it's the the common element with different levels of like immersion of a video game or VR is that suspension of disbelief was reached. It's a lot harder to do it in that perspective. It's a little easier to do it in a video game because it's just presented to you in some capacity. And then in VR, it's even easier because your whole field of view is taken over. Maybe you're getting auditory feedback as well. Maybe you're wearing a haptic suit and you literally feel it. So in one capacity like that, VR and XR lowers the barrier to entry for someone to feel immersed in that space. And like that is, it is, it is a, uh, an extension of that ability. In total agreement with you, one of the things that pops into my mind Mm. is um, that you stop having to pretend you're actually doing something. So in the D&D example, it's like, imagine you're in this scenario and you describe it and everyone's imagining that scenario. And then in VR, you're saying, no, literally, we are in this spot. Look around. There's the castle. There are the goblins. We need to get past whatever. Yeah. So I totally agree. We could paint that same picture in every single tier, every single setting, like D&D, video game, VR. Same setting. Yeah. I mean, that is always the the case to me. (laughs) To me, I've always gotten super frustrated when people are like, oh, but why VR or why would you do that in this particular medium? It's like what you just said is totally true to me, which is that you can do a scene in all of them. Yeah. You can apply it in any way. And I'm sure there are pros and cons to all of that. Like, when you're reading something, you get so much description that it makes you think about things or picture things sometimes even better than when you're just looking at them because you're appreciating the way in which somebody decided to describe those things. Yeah, maybe you're getting more immersed in it than when you were just looking at a screen. Right. So I agree with that, the the suspension of disbelief and that you stop having to pretend you get to actually do something. And I could see that being a pull, which is you want to fly, you can literally go fly. You uh, 
you want to, I mean, I, and, and I think that with, it would be, it's harder, it's a bit harder for me to try to find the right words to describe that difference between, between video games and VR, because you can do all those same things, but you don't get a, so a great example actually might be a roller coaster. You can't do a roller coaster in a video game and get that drop in your stomach, but you can in VR. You can a little bit, it's, but it's uh, like. No, uh, you can 100% oh, no. get that feeling. Totally. I, I I totally agree with you. Um, Because at that point, it's like, it's just how much of your field of view needs to be tricked for you to start actually physically feeling sick. Right. Um. And I mean, you can get up really close to a monitor and obscure enough of your view with the perspective of going down a hill or dropping off a cliff, mm-hmm. falling, whatever, that your brain will start to... Imagine that in, that's what's happening. It's like yeah, uh, in yeah. those IMAX theaters, it does that. Yeah, it, there was there was a really good article on this. Of, of there is a there is the uncanny valley where you kind of get to a point where, um, you the reality the the portrayal that you're looking at feels really really close, but it's just not quite close enough, and mm-hmm. you're just like that's not real. Yeah, something about that is off. It's just not. It's so close, but it's not there, and therefore. I am going to disbelieve what's happening. And then the article's whole point was that there is a second valley after the uncanny valley. And that is one in which it becomes so real that you can be aware still that you're in a simulated experience or something and then go a little bit further. And all of a sudden you're not able to disbelieve what's Mm -hmm. happening your body literally responds as if it's real and you can't stop that it's so much suspension of of disbelief (laughs) so much suspension (laughs) (laughs) which by the way we do actually talk about that article also in an upcoming episode but oh right uh, we did yeah yeah oh that's awesome so um that's more context there yeah a little (laughs) so little plug okay uh I still think that there is – it's almost like I don't even want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking tired, man. Oh, God. What was what was? But the so here is – maybe what I'll, I'll say something here, but we don't need to pick it up in detail. It's like for yeah. future, which is – here's what's weird to me. At some point, I think I brought up this book that's called – uh, understanding comics and something it talks about is that there's this there's this difference between or the spectrum of abstract to real and we like stories that give us space to to like space between the panels like in mm-hmm. comic books where we can fill in our own story so in that sense ab- too abstract we can't follow it mm-hmm. too real and we can't insert ourselves so sometimes when you talk about that filling in that blank and making everything real where there is no like the frame has given us those panels in a way and we Mm -hmm. fill in everything else and uh with books we fill in a lot in our mind and then with with vr like if it's all being filled in well then you could almost argue that that could be a bad thing because it's becoming it's like that uncanny the valley after the uncanny valley because it's like too prescriptive it's too prescriptive that happens with with regular stories like if the story is too predictable, 
you literally are able to anticipate everything that's going to happen and you start you you realize you're you're observing a story right again you get you get pulled out of that immersion and mm. your disbelief comes back and you're just like this is just a story this is stupid this is, they did oh, look at all these plot hooks and yeah. whatnot and like all these different literally tools that they yeah. threw in there and this is so fake and uh, contrived or whatever all of a sudden you're not able to be immersed in it anymore right. because it's so prescriptive that you realize you're on rails yes yes interesting <laughs> so i like I think there is maybe an element of surprise here that you're talking about where I like being on rails when I like the movie, when I'm like, ooh, what's going to happen next? Yeah. And or I'm just so into it. I'm just very involved in what is going to happen to this character that I'm living this through, the main hero. Mm. So now when you get into something like video games or VR, if there's so much filled in for you and description about the world or you can actually live in it, it maybe takes away certain elements that you fill in. or And so then kind of going back to that hierarchy of needs, it's like, okay, so now that you have all that, you need something else. You need that control and surprise based on what decisions you make and that agency within the world that you have where you can impact that world it's like you need something more now there's in something like minecraft there's actually lack of prescribed story yeah there's lots of game there's lots of gamification Mm. there's lack of prescribed story though which if you compare it to like regular life there is lots of gamification there's all kinds of different incentives and motivators that you encounter that push you and pull you in different directions. There's also when you when I feel like we deal with this all the time. Like when you when you enter in a situation where you don't know what the direction is, you don't know where you should go next. You don't know what your purpose is in that space. You maybe you're so overwhelmed by all the new information that that's when you run into things like imposter syndrome because you don't know what your value is. Mm. Um, or you feel super out of place because it doesn't feel like your purpose is actually aligned there. Or you don't have direction and you just feel really anxious that you're like, where the hell am I even going? What am I doing right now? What does any of this mean? That is something that we can get, we do get relief from by watching or reading through a very, like a story that it's that balance of just prescribed enough that you feel like there's a direction, things are going somewhere, but it's not so contrived that you lose the ability to ignore that structure. Mm. You lose the ability to imagine that this is actually a real world and suddenly you realize, oh, no, somebody built this. Mm. Like this is all just architected from the top down. Yeah. Okay, here's what I want to do. <laughs> what I really wanted is to come to some sort of conclusion. Yeah, and I feel like I, I just have five million more questions. I need to re-listen to what we've said. We need to whiteboard some diagrams. We do. You want to do really, like thoughts on thoughts on thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that we should just this should be to be continued. Totally. Because I really first of all, I'm spent or tired right now. Yeah. And there's a lot to think about. I'm also very curious to hear from people listening. Like, I just want to know people's thoughts about this and if they have language or ideas that might help us work through this and really figure out how do we talk about the value 
of XR through examining how do we talk about the value of other related mediums? Because we need to yeah. understand the foundation before we understand the rest. So it, Yeah, because it's not so much what is the value of XR. It's actually more of a question of what is the value of mediums of gameplay and storytelling in yeah. general. Or related, okay, well, what is the value of connecting with nature? Now let's add to that. Okay, so if you do something like that through this type of medium, then what is the same or different? Yeah. So I feel like we tried to tackle a lot and I, I we made some progress. Yeah. I I mean I feel like I'm in a very different mental space than I was when we started. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> this is to be continued. Totally. We'll re-listen, we'll work through it, we'll continue working through it. And mm. I think also our conversations, like the continued discussions we have with guests is gonna help us as well. Well yeah. this will be a continued refining process. Uh, but we definitely love to hear people's thoughts and feedback, whether through our website, which is realityquestpodcast.com, uh, through Instagram, which is at realityquestpodcast, mm-hmm. or Twitter, which is at reality underscore quest. Genuinely, like, we'd love to hear it. We'll we'll include your thoughts in the next one. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start yelling at you like like how I yell at Charlie when he <laughs> shares his thoughts. We basically had a whole episode just now on like in reply to Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean maybe in, uh, in a way. <laughs> shout out to Charlie. We love you. Okay, I mean, sweet. Thing. This was a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, we we enjoy it. Hopefully, yeah. You know hopefully, too. you guys get something out of us. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.